tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Paul Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. That's right. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have a wonderful podcast for you today. We have Austin Picard on, and he's coming to break down PatCon, which is a, a basically a... a um, uh, operation by the intelligence agencies to infiltrate all these patriotic movements, create patriotic uh, patriotic movements, just to cause complete and utter chaos and, and pass legislation. So uh, it's a really great, great, great podcast. Uh, it's a great interview. Uh, Austin Picard's podcast is called the Underclass Podcast. So check it out. Uh, real quick, I want to take a moment to say thank you so much to everybody who has donated to the Chaos Twins. Uh, project on Indiegogo. Just go to casttwins.com. We had someone who donated $1,500. He's going to be on the podcast. I can't thank you enough for doing that. We're hitting our goals at the time of this. Re at the time of recording this, we we're almost at 15,000. Our goal is to make an, an animation. Anything helps, like any donation, even if you want to donate a dollar. If everyone who listens to this donates a dollar, we will fly past our goals and be able to put a nice series of animations out. That's our goal. So please, 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 please join. Uh, I love it. And if you want to see me live, I just want to say real quick, Austin, Dallas, you guys crushed. Thank you so much for coming out. So thankful for you guys. Uh, both, both cities were pure fire. Got to do the mothership. Pure fire. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm blessed and I'm blessed that we have such great fans. If you want to see me live, I have some lot new shows coming up. Uh, I am going to be, uh, November 24th. I'm going to be at room two, three, seven at the rabbit hole bar. I'm doing a revival politics, religion, spirituality, rants, raves, and comedy. Come check it out. Just go to samtriple.com for the tickets. And then I'm very excited. I am going to be at uh, on El Monte on December 16th and a comedy chaos the 12th of December. Come get weird. Go to samtriple.com for all of your ticketing needs. I love you guys very much. You guys are going to love this episode. Well, Austin Picard, enjoy the show. All right, let's get into it real quick. I'm very excited to have him on. We are Instagram besties. Uh, he hits me up all the time. I've been trying to make it happen, and we finally made it happen. He's an independent researcher. Please welcome Austin Picard. How are you, brother? Good, Sam. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Now, Austin, for those who may not be in our Instagram circle... Okay, and they may not be familiar with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you? Yeah, basically, I'm just entirely disillusioned by the process, the political <laughs> process. I don't play the partisan game. 
I'm a hundred percent unplugged. And uh, I, I basically just wanted to start a podcast where I could redirect the knowledge that I've acquired over time and try and remain as objective as I can, but also try to maybe present an introductory, um, just an introductory uh, perspective to a different perspective, not all an, art- an alternative perspective, right? On uh, basically everything is a psyop, right? Everything is a psychological operation. We're all just being misled by propaganda. It's all Edward Bernays. It's all, you know, so I created a podcast called The Underclass. And it's pretty much the entire theme is I'm anti-war to the core, I say principally, but I am on the war path against the state. I absolutely am philosophically opposed to the state in almost every way. I think that it's the only way you can truly consolidate power to such a degree and compartmentalize uh, legislative decisions to commit insane, tragic war crimes. So I've just been entirely inspired by the anti-war principle that I have to abide by. And all that my hope is, is that I can introduce other people who are completely just taken hostage, right, by the political divide in our country and just globally, truly, because it's cultural Marxism, man, you know, and uh, it's seated even in the conservative aisle, right? And so I'm only like attempting to wake people up and shake them out of such a ridiculous worldview, right? All you have to do is... I'm not telling you what to think and believe. That's not what I'm attempting to do with each episode. All that I'm trying to do is trigger trigger something in your mind to where you'll remember the next time, right? And so whenever the next fog of war is layered around us and we're trying to be, you know, and they're trying to basically march us into war, right? And that's what they do at all times. And we just witnessed it with Ukraine. I mean, what was the first thing that, and and I mean, I just covered this in my anthrax episode about when Trump was trying to leave Syria and you have like members of, and again, this isn't like me defending Trump. Um, not that I should have to disclose that, but st- it seems like I have to all the time. <laughs> and um, when he tried to leave Syria, everyone was up in arms. The military industrial complex was utilizing the media to basically spin war propaganda and yep. claim that we're abandoning the Kurds, the Kurdish forces <laughs> in the region, right? That we're, we're basically uh, self-interested in uh, allying with us against ISIS at the yeah. time in areas of Syria and Iraq. And, and basically, when he had attempted to withdraw troops, one, we even have like members of, admi- of his administration who were in the Pentagon at the time legitimately bragging that they lied to him and misled him on the amount of troops that were in the area, you know, um, and, and they 100%, even, um, Mattis, right. A mad dog Mattis who was initially Trump's, uh, um, forget he was in the Pentagon, right. Running, running the Pentagon for Trump. Right. Right. I forget what exactly his position was, but either way, he was the guy who was running. Trump was. He was running on withdrawing again, uh, withdrawing from Syria, right? And so, then you appoint a guy who 
says he'll he's going to quit instead of follow through with your demand to withdraw troops from Syria, which you had promised during your campaign. And so for me, that's just outrageous. But beyond that, you have the the mainstream media, and it was the leftist liberals at this point, it's MSNBC who ran this. They legitimately showed video of what they claimed was a war zone in Syria where the Kurds were being destroyed. There's like smoldering, you know, smoke in the horizon. And uh, it was actually a gun range in Kentucky from a gun range night shoot. Yeah. Right. I remember and, that. And, and yeah. I mean, now, do you think they do that? Do you think that is done purposefully or on accident? This is a discussion I had with Rogan one day, and it was basically how I was explaining to him my my view of my my view of um, nonlinear warfare. And you know, we didn't quite agree on it, which is fine, but. You know, I, I went back to the Parkland shooting, right, where ABC airs one of the teachers. And the teacher says they're on ABC, makes it to the final product that's aired to the nation, that she right. saw a police officer uh, in all basically body armor shooting people with a weird gun. And then, then a... Um, <clears throat> And then uh, a video comes out showing four guys running from behind a school, throwing a big bag into a truck and the truck drives off, um, which is to me very weird, you know? So you go, you know, I've worked, I've worked very limited in, in television, but I've worked with producers before executive producers. And I know every moment of everything is scrutinized exactly. that nothing that makes to the final product isn't approved literally every millisecond is in, is approved exactly. so how does that make it to the to the light of day how does that end it, up being there and then nobody talking about that moment 100 percent. It, it you know what's crazy is that in ruby ridge as well we'll get into it when geraldo rivera and they supposedly this helicopter flies over the property and this is right after the ATF had rigged the entire woods around the property with mass surveillance, right? It's the craziest story. And and Geraldo Rivera and this helicopter pilot, they fly over the property. And then Geraldo tips off the FBI directly and tells him that they were fired upon, right? And the helicopter pilot himself claims that that never happened. It was a total lie, right? Geraldo, Geraldo all that. Man. Hold on. 100%. So you're saying that 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 Geraldo lied, or that? Are you that... serious? I mean, of course. Yeah, I think his role was well. It's it could have been. I kind of think that two options are on the table, which were either just completely self interested sociopath who wants to drive ratings, who wants more media coverage. And wants, oh my God, this helicopter's been fired upon. And so, you know, therefore, it's these people are clearly out of their minds. They're insane. They're shoot first, ask questions later type of scenario. And I believe that was the the major role for him to play was that they they needed a media pretext, right? They needed something that would allow the public 
to justify the actions of the ATF that were about. Oh, okay. So now I got 100. what you're saying. I misunderstood yeah. it. He's saying that the people at Ruby Ridge shot at him. Yeah. I thought yeah. maybe exactly. we had talked about the FBI. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. Now the the craziest Geraldo Rivera fact is Did that say? he is yeah. the guy that basically showed the world the, the Zapruder, Zapruder film. film. Yeah, and like I, up until somebody just told me, I didn't know that. I don't even know. I didn't you don't remember that with him and Dick Gregory? It was Dick Gregory. Oh, it was the, it's the God. weirdest thing. It is the weirdest. Back the whole the thing left. is weird. The whole thing in the, and what role does Dick Gregory have? In in the 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 cultural Marxism movement right. of all, I mean, like uh, it's crazy to me. Geraldo's so done got, some weird stuff, though. He's not other than that too. He's just really he seems to be enmeshed somehow with the the neo the the neocons and the right wing, you know, and the military industrial complex. He's got he's got deep contacts there. He always has. He would he would always come out with these stories that favored them. Very strange. I agree. Don't trust. Yeah, guy. it's a it's a weird situation, but one hundred percent, I believe the media and key it's key elements in the media, right? I don't think like every person at each of these uh, media agencies are are actually like it's it has they have to be key operatives that have been seeded into the media, right? And uh, I believe that's basically how they control the narrative most of the time. And I think like through Operation Mockingbird, like that's been proven, right? That they 100% had like institutionalized Operation Mockingbird to an extent to where they had been, you know, they had their own institutions that were farming out these media representatives that they could utilize to push the narrative for the mainstream. And I at mean, least we see it right now the with the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Oh, my God. I mean. What, what, what did they get right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Clearly nothing, and, right? And I you mean, you see these talking heads just running with these narratives way after they were even done. You know, so it's like the 40 babies heads gone, okay? Mm -hmm. And then someone told me, oh, 40 is the 40 years that they wa the Jews wandered the desert. Like, oh, yeah. it's crazy yeah. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then... So then, then the mass rapes are going on, and then oh they're like, gosh. "Well, these bodies, and we don't even know the they were charred beyond." So someone go, right. "I go, yeah, the rape story isn't even real." They're like, "Your yeah, <laughs> bodies were too charred to tell." I go, "Yeah, they're too charred to tell." So you're right. even brave. So you're full of shit too. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and and Seymour Hirsch, like Seymour Hirsch, you know Seymour Hirsch. She's oh, like yeah, of he, course. Well, yeah, okay, so. Uh, apparently he like produced this crazy document that proves that Netanyahu and the IDF and the Israeli government basically funded and armed Hamas. And it was in order to um, basically they wanted to during the elections where the Palestinian Authority, the uh, which clearly their representatives were also chosen by the Israeli government and they yeah. weren't properly representing the Palestinian people at all. And so the Palestinians were just pissed. We want actual representation in the Palestinian Authority. So when they had the elections, apparently one of the biggest, um, one of the number one priorities of Netanyahu was to, they wanted to divide the loyalties of the Palestinians 
and create this narrative that would allow them a pretext. Um, mainly, for, mainly they wanted to associate Palestinians with a radical group, right? A, a group that was willing to be violent, right? And so, uh, pretty much this the story goes that 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 was the priority in order to set this pretext to then throw out the Abraham Accords, which was the supposed peace deal, which just seemed to only favor Israel. Bro, as, it's as, so as, crazy because what you're saying, right? And this is what you're saying right now is the exact game plan that the CIA used for Charles Manson and the hippies. God. It's the exact it same Ashbury. game plan. It is create this per this, this narrative to scare the public about this group of people. Yep. It's exactly what they do. They do every time, every yeah. time. And I know, you know, we'll get into it, but I mean, somebody brought this up in one of my tweets. It's like the, the concert goer attack is the exact same storyline as the Vegas shooting. Oh gosh, man. The Vegas Helicopters shooting. and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I forget who it was at the time that owned stock in the helicopter company that was uh, apparently had three helicopters in Vegas the night of the shooting. Wasn't but it, it was like an Arab company, wasn't it? Or the Prince? No, it was actually like a conservative neocon, like some Jeff Sessions type, right? I can't 100% remember or recall who exactly it was. But no, you're right, though, XG. This is crazy because uh, Al Talal or whatever, the cousin of Mohammed bin Salman, he apparently owned, right, like part of the Four Seasons with Bill Gates had co-owned yeah. that. And it was like the top five floors or whatever of, of the Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the story goes, man. I mean, there was an assassination plot against Mohammed bin Salman. And there's like all this evidence that shows that apparently there was so... Trump had, consider this, right, 2017 is when the shooting happens. Trump had just gotten into office, all, you know, probably not, what, a year had, had gone by by that time. And uh, and basically, he had shown uh, public support for Mohammed bin Salman becoming the, the crown prince, or, or becoming the, basically the king, the future king of Saudi Arabia. And it was a political alliance. And so... Uh, Al Talal was had been known for being a um, a Wahhabist, right? Which is a radical uh, Sunni Islam, right? And it's like a radical interpretation of a jihadist form of Islam. And um, Wahhabism is basically the Saudi version of Islam that's like extremely violent. And uh, anyway, so it turns out that al-talal had been funding these radical wahhabist sunni uh jihadist groups and they were uh uh and a lot of them you know were affiliated with isis right at the time which of course we were arming and funding through operation fast and furious right which people have apparently forgotten or they never have realized that the atf had a gun walking scandal which I'm, i hope to smear the atf further in a little while with ruby ridge <laughs> <laughs> but clearly the, the ATF, they uh they should be completely abolished, man. I mean, it's outrageous. Well, you know, level. we're starting to find out that these agencies are just the 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 tack dogs for the elites and hundred percent. The the illusion is 
is going away. Law and order is going away. And it's just protect their best interest and just run chaos against the the uh the masses hey guys real quick i want to tell you about our friends at DraftKings. that's right listen there is so much to be thankful for family friends food and the nfl all week long DraftKings sportsbook is keeping your thanksgiving week full of action new customers can bet just five bucks on the nfl to score 150 instantly in bonus bets no matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they got it. Listen, I use it. I love using it. I think it's great. I use DraftKings. I do daily fantasy because daddy loves that action. Okay, I've won some. My boy Johnny Waters won some. Juicy Johnny won a little. Bang, yeah, right. bang. Yeah. First time. First winner, time. winner, chicken dinner. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code TINFOIL. New customers can bet five on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code TINFOIL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. So, uh, I mean, real, I, uh, I know you want to get in the Vegas shooting a little, way, a little later, and I, I don't want to dump all of our info on, oh, on it right now. So, Let's start from where you want to start, and then okay. we'll get into. And then when we, if we get back to Vegas shooting, then I'll say the couple things that I've noticed. But um, cool. so where do you want to start? I know you have some stuff because uh, you know the whole thing was you and I were going to get in some Ruby Ridge. So yeah, man. Let's start yeah, with so the Omnibus Counterterrorism Act of 1995. <laughs> well, that basically followed directly after the Oklahoma City bombing, right? Which like really consider too. Oh my God. I mean, it's outrageous that people have accepted that story. You know, I mean, it's Timothy. You know, I don't even need to get into that to be honest. It's, we could spend the whole rest of our time on Oklahoma city, but uh, honestly, man, like the political climate at the time, right? It was just, I mean, we had the false flag of the blind sheik and the first world trade center attacks. Like, right around the corner right which was 93 and then you had um and that to me was like trying to seed the islamic terrorism narrative you know like well before 9-11 was going to happen and then you have ted kaczynski you know mk ultra unabomber scenario playing off where he gets arrested in 95 right so i mean that's at its height by this point and then you have uh waco it's only six months after, you know, and the same people who were embedded at, in the ATF and the FBI at Ruby Ridge were basically at Waco and carried out the siege. And uh, so, I mean, Lon Horiuchi, the sniper, he was there, too. He had confirmed. You know, kills so interesting Waco. when you say that, because that's the mm -hmm. exact same story that happens when you look at the Michigan governor kidnapping, which involved oh my God. 12 to 13 uh 
eight not agents but basically uh what's it called informants informants Informants. federal informants yeah federal informants that guy who ran that operation was moved to january 6th right after it now that you say that so kent shout out to ken silva he's like a legit journalist who's done some really great work on um on a lot of this a lot of like basically proving that pacton never ended you know what i mean and uh and pretty much the charlottesville rally it turns out the guy that that was in the car that committed that crime and most a lot of the people there were federal informants right and just so so that's patcon all day in my opinion it's just a modernized patcon so oh man so patcon is it's patriot conspiracy is actually what it's technical the technical term was but it was a covert FBI operation that didn't just secretly infiltrate right-wing domestic extremist groups. Oh, shit. The real objective in PatCon had been to seed infiltrators and to incite these fringe groups to violence. They even created fake militia groups like the Veterans Aryan Movement, as well as running entrapment-based sting operations like Ruby Ridge with Randy Weaver, right? Oh, not the and Veterans it- Aryan Movement. They're fake. You got to be kidding me. Damn. That 100% PatCon, man. PatCon, right? And it's, it's just insane. I mean, and, they were and, like, what is the most evil? Like, let's take something that people love and let's put with some people hate yeah, and, make it it's it's and make a peanut butter sandwich. The Patriots, exactly. a- Aryan. Uh, oh, my yeah. God. It's so hilarious. Uh, the Tom Brady Nazis. Like, what? <laughs> right. No. Dude, no this was, in my opinion, this was like. This is why. By the way, that became, sounds like New York, New England Patriots fan base, right? Patriot area. Really <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, bro! So the official narrative, though, it claims that PatCon began in '91, but would only last until like July 15th of '93, six months after Waco. But it's pretty clear that never ended. You know, it was. I mean, it was directly overseen by Larry Potts who was the assistant FBI director who was later responsible for supervising the Ruby Ridge operation from FBI headquarters and le- which led to accusations that Potts approved the order that and this is a huge debate of the rules of engagement were basically changed and I'll get into that at some point but um I think first honestly what we should start with cuz Patcon I believe is the true story of of Ruby Ridge I think they wanted to one they're always vying for funding that's like they even admitted this at one point in uh, uh after the Waco siege that they were just vying for funding from the new presidential administration who had taken office and they were basically considering defunding the ATF which I don't know how much I believe that but apparently it was a consideration and so you know top officials in the ATF, they were freaking out, right? And they said, we need a great press opportunity that will show the American public, one, how important and great we are as an agency, (laughs) and two, that it'll show the new administration, right, and Congress that we need further funding. And so it would, they, I'm telling you, they will murder you and your, and your dog and your baby and your children at your house, they'll drive a tank through the front door, dude. If 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 Waco didn't prove that, what won't? 
you know, and you hear like what they say, members of the police at Waco that carried out that siege, like they wanted it to be a, a mentality like they wanted. It was a part of their mentality that created that scenario of, of such tragedy. And they basically view it. There's 5,000 5, people to one agent of the law, right? And we basically need to instill fear into the people. <laughs> Therefore, they will not break the law, right? And that that was, uh, I forget the exact quote of, uh, of the official at Waco that said this to a reporter. But it is shameful, 100% shameful. But it exposes their mentality. But first of all, I really do think like this was this was a uh, a plot to completely demonize uh, the right wing conservative Christian in America, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I think that if if we look at you know the way that that select group is viewed today in modern politics it's basically created this terrible culture cultural divide where people are playing into this culture war when in reality it's just a class war you know and uh it's so i do i 100%. do think that, that the main priority here was to completely demonize randy weaver and his ideology right and they wanted it to be a broad brush they didn't want to specifically, you know, and, and that's why they were. And I heard that even I read a story that they had apparently the FBI had potentially, allegedly, they had paid for these fake protesters, like members of the Aryan nations, right? Like to come and behave like they were affiliated with Randy Weaver and they were going to protest and with clan hoods on and like, like, yeah, yeah. And, and in reality, none of those people knew Randy, none of them ever were associated with him. We have seen that so many times now. I mean, it's how insane. many times do they have these people show up with real nice khaki pants on You're right. with, with like tiki torches? Yeah, I mean, come like, on, bro. Not even that. That was the most. That was beyond obvious. That was beyond. You know, what's so interesting right. too was a lot of people when they showed that car starting to mow people over. Mm -hmm. They took a picture of the guy driving, and the guy driving did not look like the guy that they said did it. Of so, course, right? And then they kind of picked, uh, and then they found out who the guy really looked like, which was this military officer. And bro, that story left real quick. Good luck finding that picture. Good luck finding any, I mean, dude, straight up 1984. Now I, I believe, uh, and my instincts tell me that the government has such advanced software that yeah. they're actually affecting the Mandela effect. Like they're trying to get us to so not believe our the wisdom of our experiences that right. they have a way to go through the internet and replace everything. They're memory holding everything as we speak. I mean, if I try and do research on any of these subjects, I get so many 404 pages. I, I can't internet, find dude, articles. That's man. the dead yeah. internet. Yeah, 100%. And if you're not consistently like researching yourself, you're not going to even know that that's happening. And and what does that do? Inherently, it, it changes all of history. I mean, in my opinion, I, if you only have a select 
a select narrative, right? That's going to maintain it's it's I mean, that's what it's about, right? It's so by I the mean, way, what you had to say about uh um the the patcon operation in, in charlottesville what we were just talking about so apparently did you hear that representative higgins claims that the fbi sent busloads of informants to storm capitol hill on january 6th who said and that apparently it's representative higgins okay and this is just in clay higgins all right and he's uh he's uh U.S. House of Representatives, that's who he is, yeah. But he just claimed this with no information or evidence whatsoever. And so all I'm saying is it fits perfectly, but it also could be muddying the waters when it comes to a lot of people's like legitimate reporting on January 6th and feds being involved. Yeah, he and says so I Clay Higgins think, claims ghost buses brought yes. FBI informants, and we know that's true. Because people are talking about they're busing people in right now. That's what I'm saying. You want to talk and about memory hold? That. Try to bring video. Try to find stories about the the uh, LAPD cops who all eleven of them that committed suicide that saw Anthony Weiner's laptop. Try Good to luck. Find that story. Good luck. People with that. talk about that. it. Hey, bring up PizzaGate and people act like you're crazy, right? I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine that I love. And he was like, you don't believe in that pizza gate, do you? I go, oh my okay, if you want to have a conversation, we just talked about this on the last episode, but if you want to have a conversation about whether it's happening in a basement, even yeah. though everyone's convinced that he does, the place doesn't have a basement, even though there's yeah. articles and interviews of him talking about his basement at the pizza shop. And the one dude that went in only shot the computer with the hard drive in it that they wanted to destroy, but you know. Do you okay. know that's how I realized that that it was all real? Was when yeah. I, I studied that guy and I found out that his dad runs a habit, basically an organization along the lines, the name is along the lines of Habitat for Haitian Orphans. And it was funded by the Clinton Foundation. And that's when I knew it was all in. And that was oh the first time God. we found out that guess what? All the traffic cams didn't work that day. Exactly. I heard that that guy had also gotten killed into somebody. an accident. Yeah. And like and killed, killed somebody, somebody with his car. Yeah. Yep. And yep. that could have been some factor that played a role in him being the guy that had to go in and shoot the computer. But either way, what an insane story that is, man. I mean, it is so sick. And, but we and you get into it. We get into it about like. Uh, oh, okay. Pizza gay. Oh, oh, they're, 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 uh, molesting children in the basement. Okay, fine. You don't want, that's why they, that's why they call it pizza gay. So you associate right. it with the pizza parlor and then you can right. dismiss it. But in reality, yeah. what they're talking about is a pedophile ring in right. Washington, DC. And that's what I call Jeffrey Epstein's whole mm -hmm. operation. Oh yeah. And James, I mean, James Oliphantus, just his Instagram alone. Like, what is that dude? Can you explain to me why he has like this ancient Egyptian god of like basically the hero of pedophiles? Like it doesn't yeah. even make sense, man. Yeah, yeah. Wait, you, know? you guys have never ordered like a thousand hot dogs? <laughs> right, right, right. For fifty thousand dollars? No, yeah. I've never done that. Hell, I've never spent fifty thousand dollars on uh -huh. hot dogs and cheese pizza. <laughs> right, and I mean, you know, Gordo from those conspiracy guys. 
they they were talking about how it detailed like walnut sauce and all the different like mm -hmm. what it represent dude that was disturbing as hell like my god i mean Wait at some you find point, out I what germany to... did Ooh. oh god yeah well you know that reminds me that uh there is a theory about steven paddock and Mary Lou Danley, that that uh, girl he was supposedly dating that was in the mm. Philippines at the time. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yet, but yet he used her identification to check into his rooms. Like, first of all, that's crazy. You know, like what hotel lets you do that? But I guess he's a high roller, so it's OK. And then it turns out that apparently she was on the FBI's payroll. And there's even evidence that puts her as like some revolutionary fighting against Marcos in the Philippines in the 60s and 70s, who then was given access by uh, a CIA operative, was granted access to then uh, come to the United States. And it's all a part of her like visa application stuff. It's like really weird, but there's evidence that proves that her entire like getting brought to the, U the U.S., was completely like authorized by uh, a CIA operative who was in that area, right? Running that area. And so then there was a, a theory that that set, apparently claims that Silkway Airlines, right? Which Stephen Paddock owned two planes, which were traced back to these defense contractors that 100%, were working for Obama. dude. Right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't even make sense. The, the situation doesn't even make no, sense. Why doesn't. would a guy that's going to shoot up a bunch of places have like a billion, a bunch of guns up there? You would only have right. maybe a couple guns, maybe, and exactly. a ton of ammo. You're not right. bringing a thousand guns unless you plan on selling all those guns. Everything There's about a, him I know. comes off as a gun runner, a black exactly. market gun runner. Yeah, and there's more evidence that proves that he was 100% even showed up. Like, there's this Russian uh, mobster that apparently works with the feds quite often and uh, and was helping as a part of Operation Fast and Furious, which was just like a part of the gun running operation, the ATF gun walking. Uh, it was, it's a crazy there's so much more than just Fast and Furious, but apparently he showed up to Chicago O'Hare International Airport the same time one of these planes flew in with a bunch of weapons on it, right? And he was supposed to be the guy there to to accept the plane. So it's just outrageous that what the amount of evidence that proves that this guy was for sure not some mentally disturbed mass shooter right and and then apparently this guy when you dig even deeper into the background of i think he's a patsy a little bit in a certain way even though he clearly is a part of the gun running no, operation dude, he was suing an opera he was suing a hotel there's a video of him fake falling and trying yeah. to sue the hotel and when you do that, when you do that gig, right. you don't, you're meant to be a ghost. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, he could definitely have just worn out his usefulness, you know, as far as I'm concerned, become a, uh, what's it called when you're hung out to dry 
anyways, there's a term for it, but I think it's called hung out to dry. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I think so, he was 100%. So, so Johnny, have any of you guys been to Vegas lately? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know if this has happened in the hotel you were at, but when I went to skank fest this year, every time I went to my hotel, I had to present my ID to them. Every Your ID? time. Or my the card ID. or the room key. I had to present my ID. To wow. get into the hotel and my or to room your room card, yeah. Never my ID. I've never had to present my ID. Just the no, room. You, card. you only check your. You only show your ID at che- when you check in, right? Yeah, yeah I've, I've never had to do it. And show. I I could have sworn I showed my what hotel ID the last and my time? credit card. What hotel? And they ran it. Your they credit card? Ching, ching. My no no my uh my ID. They they ran it through a thing to make sure it was valid. And I would not be surprised. What hotel was that, Sam? Uh, what was it? It was it's Cirque. New... Was it Circa or whatever? Yeah, Circa. Circa. Huh. That's and a new I... hotel. Yeah. Oh, oh, because Circa's twenty-one and over. Circa's the only club that's uh, twenty-one and over. That makes sense. Yeah, it's the only one that's twenty-one and over. So, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, it's the only well, one. You can't one kids... all, every one of them downtown made us do that. Every one of those hotels, because I also went to Gold Nugget. Had it happened there as well. So, well, they they claimed that was a part of the plot was that one, basically that's Michael Chertoff, yeah, yeah, Michael Chertoff, which was the second uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security, and then him and before Sheldon Adelson died, right? They were like, apparently, they had uh, uh, created these uh, security measures for these casinos, and like they wanted all the it's basically TSA, but for they want to install metal detectors. They want to install metal. Hundred percent, bro. That's that what was, it was. That, that it was, was that four chan yeah. post. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, Michael Chertoff for sure. He was the guy who who helped cover up. He was a part of the Blind Sheik and the World Trade Center bombing, and and uh, was like a what? prosecutor. He was a federal pro- prosecutor that helped cover that up. Right. Which is totally crazy because uh, I forget the the name of the blind sheik, Omar Abdul Rahman or something like that. And he uh, he 100 percent was involved with the feds. And it was I mean, the CIA created Al Qaeda and we all know this, you know, but no, honestly, we don't all know this because I'm on a podcast with a guy that doesn't know any of this (laughs) and we argue every day. And it's just insanity to me. Don't take it from him, bro. No, no he's not talking. No, about no, me. he's not talking. About actually, he's talking, he's talking about, about Brian Callen. Callen. Yeah, he's talking about Callen. Oh, Brian Callen. Okay, all right. Yeah, Brian. I Callen know. Yeah, know Brian. Any of this right now? But so, Callen's like his he's dad the was best. CIA. Right? I love him. He he really he seems like the sweetest guy. guy of all time. He is the sweetest guy. Yeah. He's just he really got bad info for a long time. Yeah. But let me just say this: is mm-hmm. that all of that stuff is is yeah it's all inside info it's all false flag shit and i and i and i said this on my other show i go i really wonder how much violence would happen like on a on a on a a high impact level right if if there wasn't a hidden hand happening behind it exactly yeah and i think that's Basically always the case. Hey guys, real quick, I want to tell you about my boy James McMahon and Copy My Crypto. Let me tell you about Copy My Crypto. Listen, everybody, we've seen so many people making ridiculous money in crypto, but did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership sh- site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon 
personally holds and allows you to copy him, okay? It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know anything about crypto or how to invest. You simply do what he does. So let me tell you about James. He runs Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship, has over 26,000 subscribers. Since 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in a hundred bucks into each one, it went on to be worth $120,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, went up 692 times from what when he said. The, that one call retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is all public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify for yourself. So if you, you'd like to join the 2,800 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing right now and head over to copymycrypto.com slash TFH. That's copymycrypto.com slash TFH. T-F-H. That's T-F-H. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but my listeners gain full access for just $1. Once again, that's copymycrypto.com slash T-F-H. The recession is here, guys. You can suffer like everyone else or choose to thrive. James is a real deal. Go visit his site now. The, the theory I wanted to throw out there right before we pivot back to Ruby Ridge for a minute Um Besides owning those two planes that were connected to the defense contractors, uh, and also Stephen Paddock worked, he was a former IRS agent. He like worked for this defense audit company that was merged into Lockheed Martin, right? Like that's who he was working for. And, and so it's just crazy to me that he had that many connections, but also he apparently his his main company since 2004 is called Paradise Ranch which was a joint venture with the Philippine Children's Fund of America right and that's a charity that provides a transnational a, a transitional home for american children we fly from the philippines now strangely enough there is also a paradise ranch in the philippines his partner's home country right which is Marilu Danley who is the FBI lady and this Paradise Ranch is right next to a former U.S. Air Force base in the Clark Freeport Zone in Angeles, Angeles City, a very well-known site of large-scale sex trafficking. So the obvious question is, did Paddock make his millions as an ex-CIA pilot running a human sex trafficking ring out of the Philippines? Like, dude, when I heard that, I, I just like, Whoa. I, okay. Well, the very least, we know the official narrative is bullshit, right? Like that's at the very least. And if that's if that's true, right? And I'm he definitely was a part of the Silkways Airlines, which was 100 percent flying out of the Philippines. Right. I mean, that's a that's a pedophile connection to to Vegas as well, which is just. Of course, Right. Why would we be surprised at this point? You know, and uh, anyway, there were clearly multiple shooters. There were shootings. At it's the so Hooters obvious. Like, it's so ridiculous. That old man can't break that glass. It's no. just uh, the, uh, the all, all the SWAT that just sat back. The, mm -hmm. the the scanners which said there were multiple shooters all over Vegas that nobody's talking about. Right. 
the and shots came from up top. People were getting shot from like the like oh, yeah. at like Dude, a ninety like saying. a forty five angle. Yeah. It's like they the guy was... on Twitter. I wish I could remember his Twitter handle. He brought it up. It's the same exact thing as Israel. And th they oh, moved yeah. that concert closer to the border. And then they just took out everybody and blamed it on Hamas. And All everyone's right. going to lose their skull on me and say mm -hmm. I'm talking crazy. But I'm not. I mean, over and over again, this story just becomes complete and utter bullshit. When you listen to all, dude, you listen to hostages talking about like, dude, the IDF yeah. shot everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And let's and not forget beyond this that. And let's ahead. not forget this was a country con uh, country concert. They were trying to go after the conservatives. They were trying to scare them. Oh, in like, Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one in I Vegas. Know, right? This was like, yo, this is not no LGBTQ getting shot up. Exactly. This is no club. This is a country club where your Second Amendment rights are really defended. And I remember looking at like, what are we going to do? Brother, I read, I read this article that claimed that apparently that was also could have potentially been uh, a warning from Al Talal to the Trump administration for his uh, massive support for MBS, Mohammed bin Salman. And if you notice, of course, right after the Vegas yep. shooting, yep. the massive Saudi purge, right? Yeah. 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 Like, and right so after that, dude. Right. And they and said that, guy that you talked about that mm -hmm. owns those floors is the one yeah. who basically funded Obama going through college. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so when. Oh, my God, man. That's crazy, Sam. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's he's insane. the guy who and so and he's also the guy that handed he that that Saudi owned Citibank. Yeah, and Citi major Bank, shareholder in Twitter as yeah. well. Well, they were, yeah. Was. And yeah. he's the one that Citibank basically handed Biden a list for his cabinet, and every single one of them was picked. Yep. I remember that. I try and explain that to members of my own family. Why? Who are so just blindly <laughs> so why? partisan. Why are you, you know doing that? I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's been a huge mistake. I'll be honest. And I'm I'm basically that's where I'm at. I I've done the exact same thing basically, but I had to. Uh, I I'm pretty much I was lying to myself for way too long. That that the almost like the closer you are to someone the less likely they are to actually take you seriously. Which is the weirdest thing ever, right? Like, it really is. That this this thing where they believe somebody on the TV, yeah, but they Complete don't stranger. believe you who, like, I love my mother. She's the, I love her. There's very, right. I mean, outside of my, probably my daughters, there's very few people that I love more than my, my, my mother. Right. And she will not listen to me on anything. She, you know, getting vaccinated and then she just got boosted with oh, a no. flu shot. And now oh, my she's God. had Travis Kelsey style. Yeah. Uh, Dude, then they put the, the hell, stints bro. in. And that's so sad, man. It's super sad, dude, because you got to yeah. take blood thinners now. And it's just like nobody listens to me. Nobody yeah. listens to me. I try, but nobody listens to me. And so, yeah, you got to think a lot of this. I, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of us are going through a very similar experience, man. You know, like, that's why I mentioned, like, COVID was so insane. And people aren't, I mean, it still is insane, you know, and, and no, I mean, I just don't think it's, it's just being so quickly swept under the rug because it, just all these different 
people who are saying that, you know, you have to you have to just forgive everyone. It was the chaos of the time, the chaos of the moment. And it's just so clear to me that all you have to you have to just have minimal principles, not even very many principles that you've truly defined right to where you understand that you don't have a right to decide for another person, you know, all of these things. And which is a part of why I've had to completely give up with trying to reach my family in any way, because basically, you know, it's a complete waste of time. And I also believe that they're going to decide on their own anyway. So you can only do so much. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just the truth, dude. Yeah. It just sucks. And nobody wants to listen to me. I do have a lot of family members that do listen to me. Um, cool. you know, uh, but at the end of the day, it's just like, most of them think I'm a crazy person, <laughs> which I'm is there fine. You, buddy. I don't even care, but it just makes me sad. Cause like everything becomes a, every whenever is everything conspiracy yeah i mean everything is an intelligence operation like yeah. everything there's yeah. everything they're manipulating every moment of everything to control our reality yeah and what I we agree. think they want us like as much as i love twitter and i love all the butts on instagram they're great <laughs> you know? but that's just a that's just a not so much instagram but twitter is as even as good as is with Elon Musk, it's it's a yeah. fucking it is a trauma um con, a tra a trauma conductor uh, uh dis distribution oh, yeah. website. That's yeah. all it is. Oh it's yeah, just, it just distributes trauma. And now mm -hmm. with this new way of paying you money. Now oh everybody's just posting like every single they're posting ten thousand times a day. Dude, what, are you talking about mind. them monetizing Twitter? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, I couldn't I handle a, it, man. I have this uh this this YouTuber streamer kit guy. He just came on uh, on my other podcast. He did a week straight streaming, and they gave him a dollar a minute. Like he literally wow. the only thing he had to on do Twitter? was. On YouTube, on Kick or YouTube, one of those like new accounts, and all he had to do was turn the camera around when he was like taking a shit and in the shower. But he did it for <laughs> a whole week straight. He didn't care everything, and to him it felt normal. And now he does it. Wow. He'll do twenty four hours like it's nothing now. Because a week to him is like, I'm like, whoa. Which I mean, we talk about how much Sam Sam podcasts, but I couldn't imagine him going twenty four. Uh, I would go nuts. <laughs> I would lose my skull. That's what I mean. I mean, I post like once a week with it when my episode comes out or like if I feel for some reason, like I actually naturally feel like I should respond or, or I'm in the moment. Like, I don't know. I feel like I should post more a little bit. But at the same time, man, it is a, a complete waste of your time in a lot of ways, unless you're using it to research. Right. And beyond that, you just feel like you're going crazy because you're just one, you're either put into an echo chamber right placed into your echo chamber and and you're just hearing the same reinforcing narratives over and over again or you're just arguing with people like and what's hilarious is that this ruby ridge was like my seventh episode i'm only on like 29 or something this is my 30th and it's the only one that i've gotten any hate for and like it was just some like like 60 year old white woman who was like they're a bunch of Nazi white supremacists, okay? 
you know, just, just like a yeah. The, the, <laughs> he's, it's like you can just tell who listens to fucking MSNBC right. and CNN, and they. It's like Malcolm X said. It's like you know, the media will get you like hating the victims and loving the oppressors. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's funny though. The Ruby Ridge, even the mainstream narrative of Ruby Ridge is right. a I mean, it's it, it's a damning for the government. I can't imagine. Oh, I mean, how brainwashed do you have to be to think that even that was well, okay. Austin, take us Clearly. from the yeah. beginning of it. Let okay, us, let's get into the beginning of Ruby Ridge. Sounds good. All right, so Randy Weaver, right? He basically he grew up in a small town in southwestern Iowa and graduated from high school around 1966. And in uh, 1968, in October, when he was 20 years old, he joined the army and he eventually became a member of the elite special forces unit called the Green Berets, right? Very similar to Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, which I did find uh, a potential connection between uh, Bo Gritz, who was the special forces commander of the Green Berets at the time, and actually uh, trained Randy Weaver when he was in special forces. And he also knew Terry Nichols, which I thought was insane because Terry Nichols, you know, forever had said, you get me in front of a, a, a legit grand jury, I'll blow open Oklahoma City. And dude, they're never going to let that happen. It's crazy. They like barred everyone from ever even visiting him. And like, it's an insane story. But anyway, uh, so... Beyond that weird connection to the Green Berets, which I can never really get away from, he also, like, he only was in the military for, like, three years. And then he gets a, an honorable discharge. And then he starts dating, well, he started dating Vicky uh, in 1970, right? And that's when he's given the discharge. And then he, at the time, three years into his service, right? He decides that after he's discharged, he gets married to Vicky and they moved to Cedar Falls, Iowa. And he had plans of enrolling at the University of Northern Iowa, claiming he wanted to research uh, like, he, he, well, he claimed his end goal was to become an FBI agent, which is like, bro, when you find out what happened to him at Ruby Ridge, like, what are the odds that he originally was a Green Beret? Like so, such a part of the system, but yet you're also, I get it because I, I, I completely flip-flopped ideologically as well. Like this from, you know, a, a more of an education, you know, but also just a more objective approach toward learning anything about politics, you know, but anyway, so there were, uh, uh, after he had uh, supposedly claimed that he wanted to become an FBI agent, he never ended up going to Northern Iowa, the university. He ended up getting a job like pretty well paying at John Deere tractor factory. And then he, uh, they had their first child, Sarah, in 1976. And Vicky supposedly at that time took on the role of spiritual leader in the family. And by 1978, she allegedly read a book written by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth that basically interpreted the prophecies of the Old Testament and applied his interpretation to the events of current times, concluding that we were now in the end times, right? And apparently after she read this book, 
Vicky began having recurring dreams of living on a mountaintop and believed that the apocalypse was imminent. And in an attempt to escape what they viewed as a world corrupted, they fled to Idaho where they could legally homeschool their newborn son, Samuel. And that was another factor was that where they were in Iowa, you couldn't legally homeschool your child, which what are you serious? Like, as far as I'm concerned, I, I am ideologically aligned with Randy in that sense. He, he called all schools, all public schools, government schools, which that's how I, I view it. I mean, it's clear. It's exactly what they are. Uh, you know, Indoctrination so weird, man. My, my mother and my father were both teachers and mm -hmm. my dad didn't like the government. He wasn't a government guy. He wasn't like, he was anti like bureaucracy and bureaucracy. Wow. And he like, he just hated to play by the rules. So in that sense, he was very anti-establishment. Uh, right. But they, they loved educating kids. And I don't think all teachers are bad people. I, I think if you catch the wrong school, you're in trouble. Oh God. I mean, my, I I'll just, uh, my school, just my own firsthand experience. I went to Gravit high school, right? I grew up in Northwest Arkansas. Okay. Super rural area. I grew up on like a 35 acre farm. My mom was like a horse trainer. Like my dad was a truck driver, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I like, I value that experience so much now. Like it's crazy. I know growing up, I, all I wanted was to move to LA, you know, experience the big city. You know what I'm saying? It's what, right. it's what a lot of people imagine. And I also, who hasn't, if you grew up in America, our identities are basically completely attached to Hollywood, right? It's so weird, but everyone chooses who to worship, which celebrity they prefer. And then they all craft their identities after these famous people. And uh, I, I've seen it in my own life just so much, right? Like I, just having the conversations with people that I know and love, it'll be like the, the only way they can relate to me is what TV show do you watch, hmm. right? And what's the latest drama about wow. some fucking celebrity that I could not care less about, right? It's just like at, at a certain point, I got so just, I had to unplug from Hollywood, man. I, I, I got, I loved theater when I first found it, which is weird because I was like into athletics but then I was partying a little bit, you know, and I couldn't like I got caught smoking weed in school and all this. And so I had to um, uh, pivot from organized sports. Okay, <laughs> And uh, and then I uh, uh, some girls like got me into theater. Right. They were doing a musical and I could sing. Right. So I grew up like singing and playing, playing uh, a little piano and guitar. And so anyway, it's it's just a, a crazy experience because. Growing up in that school, you know, like that school alone. Okay. I just have to say, at least while I was there, one, one of the teachers who went to prison for being a pedophile. Okay. Like <laughs> I remember I went into his word processing class one day and me and my boy, Michael, and he like puts his hand on my leg and I'm like, dude, 
what are you doing, bro? You know? And then he just like plays it off because clearly I was like a confident young man and like I I wasn't into it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like I, I was so ignorant at the time. I had no idea what actually happened until I I was like granted hindsight and and became a little more aware of of exactly and then he he gets arrested and of course people find out right but we had another teacher while I was there he gets arrested for having sex with one of the female students right and he goes to jail and I'll never forget that either and uh so it's just like so much I've seen like my own personal experience and also we had a female teacher who once we graduated had sex with one of my boys and then uh, we were living together in an apartment and I'm just using this as an example because of how ridiculous I think public school is truly and I don't believe this these are all teachers but I lived in a small town and and this was supposed to be a good school you know it's still considered a good school and uh <clears throat> I truly didn't learn very much of anything while I was there. All that I did was try and get them to treat me less like a slave. You know what I mean? That's basically what it felt like. Knowing the whole, anyway, knowing the whole history of the Prussian model and, and the whole reason that it's like structured in the way with each each hour you get a bell and you have to go to the next. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a factory and it's prison. Exactly. It's an assembly line. And uh, and it's supposed to it's supposed to break us. I really believe it's supposed to break our spirits. It's supposed to drive the individual, the individuality out of us. Mm. And, and and we're meant to embrace the collectivist nature. And and I believe it basically boils down to just that it's collectivism versus individualism. And you have to be you have to have an identity, but you have to construct it yourself. And so you can't just completely mold yourself after after some person you saw in a movie right and then you wonder why you have no identity when you know you're 30 years old most people have had a child by that point it's just completely insane but uh i just deal with it on a daily basis you know and yeah. uh yeah i mean like uh, i just i have a buddy of mine that I, I'm not going to say his name, but he just had an issue with his kid's school. Uh, his kid's teacher got a little too handsy with his wife. And then when he went to, like, she did some investigation into him and, like, went to his twi the teacher's Twitter. There's, like, hardcore pornography on there and oh, all that stuff. God, now, man. let me just say something. I don't think teachers are... What teachers do in their in the privacy of their own home is their own thing as long as they're not hurting anybody right so what, what i'm saying is if a teacher wants to watch hardcore porn they can watch right. hardcore porn as long as they don't bring that to their job and exactly. stuff like that you can't yeah, you yeah. can't expect them to walk on water right exactly uh, yeah but when you're putting it on your your social media oh that is God. a presentation right and right. it's gone. It's like I don't want that person near children. And I know his daughter's age. It's not oh, for off sure. of my not that much farther from my daughter's age. Right. And that is a yeah. sign. Like what you put out is this. And this is coming from a guy who's got a Tim Fole hat uh, podcast, which is conspiracies. 
you know, I've right. done an audio show where back in the day I interviewed adult film stars, and I'm pretty honest with who I am and my my strengths and my weaknesses, but I right. choose to be that person. But right. what you put on your timeline defines you. That is very Definitely. easy for that is very easy for a kid to find. If you're at home or whatever and you wanna maybe email your teacher, you type in the name, Twitter comes up, you click the Twitter, now you see all the porn that your teacher's into. Right, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, Dude, it's, I rem it's done. Definitely. It's just dumb. It's just ridiculous. So back to Ruby Ridge real quick. Yeah, so yeah. he wanted to have that. He wanted to have homeschooling. Idaho yep. didn't allow that. That nope. becomes an issue. Yep. And so re reportedly after the birth of their son, the Weavers started selling all their stuff. And, and even like they even visited the Amish and tried to learn to live without electricity, uh, electricity and like. That was all right before they moved to Boundary County, Idaho, and purchased 20 acres of land, right? And uh, and so by that time, it was pretty well established, like that Randy and Vicky were affiliated with the Christian identity movement, which it definitely holds like some off-centered beliefs, you know? But, but I mean... It's interesting because they believe in like a Zionist occupied government and all of this and th that they are like the true descendants of the tribes of Israel and uh, uh, are basically the modern nationalites of Europe and that today's Jews are imposters and that Yahweh has fierce punishment planned for sinful America and its Babylonian occupational government and uh, and it, it like claims to live by Old Testament laws and to be the true heirs of Israel. And so many of them are separatists, right? They'll be white separatists. And that was that was a belief. Like, and but they would be consistently labeled as white supremacists, which they weren't like actively nothing I could find shows that they were actively treating anyone in any negative way because of their race or ethnicity or whatever. It just I couldn't find any evidence of that at all. You know, all I could find was that they were white separatists and that they just wanted to have the right to live amongst their own race if they so chose, which say whatever you want about that. I mean, we have to at least allow people, right, to to have their own belief system as long as they're not in any way breaching a couple of core principles like the non-aggression principle or, or they're stealing your property. I mean, then I think everything will be okay. You know, most of the time, if you just l leave them alone, you know, and so it is interesting. It is interesting it is. because, you know, there's so many people that have this kind of I mean, you could if you take a look at what's going on in these campuses, you have, um, you know, you you have these people who basically, um, you know, are like. Color, uh, you know, Africans only. They had like on um, Berkeley. Right. They had African, African only graduation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's like it's okay ridiculous. to be racist if you're a minority in America, right? Well, my like, whole thing is like you're, which like, I don't understand. You know, the notion. Listen, I I know this this statement drives people crazy, but I yeah. love the diversity of Los Angeles as, as crazy as awesome. the politics are. I, I really enjoy, I, I love that I can get any kind of food, any kind of restaurant, any ethnic group restaurant. You know, I just love it. I, I do Definitely. love it. I love the diversity of it. Okay. 
Um, I do too, man. I but I also I also know that like animal, humans are mammals and they run in packs. Mm-hmm. And and we're the first time uh, mammals tried to make different packs live together in different ways and it's going to be clunky and it and there's going to be moments of weirdness especially when you have an elite predator class getting us all to fight with each other so like as open-minded as la is which everyone thinks it is i'm gonna be honest with you it is the most segregated city i've ever been in Oh yeah! If you look at LA. The blacks live here. The Mexicans live here. The Jews live here. The the yep. Armenians live here. The gays live here. They right. just all naturally just come together. It's just the way right. it is, man. You have exactly. there's little there's little Tokyo, little Armenia. There's all these Dude, little everythings. And hundred percent. Yeah, it's basically it's, a, it's almost like people enjoy hanging out. With oh, others what a who, concept. Share, who share the same culture, you know what, I mean? <laughs> what a concept, like Johnny! Yeah. Wow, like, Johnny! What an interview! Notion there we go. That, like <laughs> that, like what? What the, the only ones who aren't allowed to want to do that are white people. I yeah. mean, because we don't have a culture, just, Sam. That's why. Maybe you're just not allowed to announce it. You know, you <laughs> you just do it quietly. I don't know, but it's just but interesting. then it's a KKK meeting. I mean, because you go to like, I mean, like, let's say San Francisco, which is supposed to be the super woke city. They have, there's places in San Francisco, white people cannot get an apartment or black people or anybody who's right. not Chinese can't right. live there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I believe society is basically self-organizing and that, yes, uh, most everyone's self-interested. Right. Most everyone is inevitably a little selfish. Right. They're all going to look out for their own interests to a certain degree. But most people, most people on average, they don't seem to have evil intentions. Right. Like and that's like something I try and consider more than anything is what are your intentions? You know, more than because I've seen people who are so just down the partisan divide, they can't see straight. Right. But they're clearly not bad people. You know, they've just been entirely misled by propaganda, deceived into these these terrible ideas that are only going to harm them and everyone else. Right. And so it's just anyway, it's a sad situation that we're in. I'll tell you that much. But well, uh, I I think I think it it is sad, but it's also I don't think it's as. It's interesting, dude. It's interesting, man. I agree with you, though. The, the diversity is not. It's not I a go, negative, dude. I've traveled the world know. where it's yeah. it's a homeo. What's a homeo? What's homeogenic? It called? Yeah. Ho- homeo. Well, what do you mean? Where like everybody's one thing, or yeah, it's diverse? yeah. Homeo. What's it called? Homogenic would be one thing. Homogenic, and it's boring as fuck. It's right. boring. It's really oh, yeah, boring. I'm sure. Like I know people like the pro- the problem isn't diversity. The problem is, and it always will be, anything weaponized. Exactly. Right. Weaponized yeah. diversity sucks because you're forcing stuff that isn't happening naturally. What what it right. is, is, people want equal opportunity, which I think again gets into this common sense thing. It's just common sense. That's impossible, though. Like. It's a quality of outcome, which is the ridiculous notion, right? And so it's like 
know I am never going to be like I never deserve to be on the same basketball court as LeBron James, right? Like that's just no, I don't. You know, like I would love to be. <laughs> it's completely delusional to imagine that I deserve to be on the court with LeBron James, just you know, because I deserve that opportunity. That's what a lot of people they have been led to believe, right? That we all deserve these these equal opportunities. But that's that's just impossible. It's not even coherent to imagine that as a possibility, right? But with the elite class divide that has been so wrought within our, uh, just honestly, the entire, I mean, not just America, right? Like it's clearly we have, we have elites running the world, right? A committee of 300, in my opinion. If you've ever read that book, it is so amazing, man. And they they like go down the line explaining how each president was chosen by this elite sect of individuals out of the city of London and all of this and Chatham House. And, and uh, anyway, let's get back to Ruby Ridge, though. No, I get it, dude. I totally get it. Let's get back into Ruby Ridge. For sure. So... After they bought the cabin, which was only like 40 miles from the Canadian border, uh, Kevin Harris, by the way, he was a close friend of Randy and he was known to like, Randy like called him his second son, right? He was known to stay with them for extended periods of time. And uh, based on like a Department of Justice report from uh, 1994, June 10th, uh, in regard to the Ruby Ridge Task Force. In 1984, Randy Weaver and his neighbor, Terry Kennison, had a dispute over a $3,000 land deal. And uh, Randy's neighbor, Kennison, he lost the ensuing lawsuit and was ordered to pay Weaver an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages. Now, this is weird because this dispute between the, uh, Randy and his neighbor it like escalates more than you would ever imagine. Like it's, it's so insane really? to imagine somebody being this upset about like his property boundaries. I would imagine was, was the, the circumstance, but so Kennison, he, he gets so pissed that he has to uh, pay Randy and court costs and damages and all of this, that he decides to write letters to the FBI, the secret service and the County Sheriff where he alleged that Weaver had threatened to kill Pope John Paul II, President Ronald Reagan, and Idaho Governor John V. Evans, right? Now, this was the first time that Randy would be brought onto the FBI's radar. And in January of 85, the FBI and the Secret Service launched an investigation into allegations that Weaver had made these threats against Reagan and other government law enforcement officials. And so in the letters... The Terry Kennison, the neighbor, he he decided to tell the Secret Service that Weaver was a member of Aryan Nations, right, and uh, and that he had a large weapons cache at his residence. And on February twelfth in nineteen eighty five, two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, and the county sheriff, plus the chief investigator, interviewed Vicky and Randy accusing him of being a member of Aryan Nations due to the fact that during their month-long investigation, they had witnessed him associating with a man by the name of Frank Kumnick, who was known to associate with members of the Aryan Nations, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Hey, dude, you, you've hung out with that one guy, and, and he has some friends, 
that are associated with the Aryan nations. So therefore, you're a Nazi, you know? And so Weaver was pissed, like apparently in this interview, like he got mad at the investigators. And uh, and uh, he said that neither him or Kumnik were members of the Aryan nations and described Kumnik as associated with a group called the Covenant Sword and Arm of the Lord. And he outright denied the allegations and the government filed no charges, right? But on February 28th, Randy and Vicky filed an affidavit with the county courthouse alleging that their personal enemies were plotting to provoke the FBI into attacking and killing the Weaver family. What? Like that alone, I'm like, dude, what is happening here? Like, could you imagine your neighbor being so pissed at you that <laughs> he just sends all these threatening letters to, to all these government officials? Like, that is just so crazy in the first place. But that then, is so nuts. Uh, them literally filing an affidavit that said that yeah. blew my mind, right? And then reportedly by May 6th, the Weavers sent President Reagan a letter and cl they claimed that their enemies may have sent Reagan a threatening letter under a forged signature, right? And so no evidence of any of these letters has ever surfaced. But in 1992, the prosecutor cited the 1985 letter as an overt act of the Weaver family conspiracy against the federal government, right? And the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms first became aware of Weaver in 86 when he was introduced to an ATF informant at a meeting of the Aryan Nations, okay? But this is weird, okay? Because this whole situation, is, that sounds bad. And I and then I looked into it and it turns out that Weaver was invited by that Frank Kumnick, who they had initially been targeting in the investigation. And uh, apparently uh, during his first and only appearance at this meeting, right, which it was kind of like an Elohim City situation, which led to the Oklahoma City where Tim McVeigh was apparently going to that right outside of Oklahoma to that compound or whatever that all that was literally just a bunch of government informants, like basically, you know, which is insane. But it's very similar to that because guess what? At this meeting place, the only time, the one and only time that Weaver went was because his buddy had invited him to go. And and when they went, guess who was there? A bunch of ATF informants and FBI informants, right? And they're all infiltrating the meeting. And so... During that first and only appearance, Randy was introduced to Gus Magasono, all right? And that's an alias for Kenneth Fadley, who was a paid undercover BATF informant in the Aryan Nations and introduced himself to Frank Kumnick as a weapons dealer, right? Oh and so Kumnick, who was the original target of the ATF investigation, subsequently introduced him to Randy, which led to them exchanging contact information. And Randy and Gus the confidential informant, seemingly became friends over the course of three years and met several times between the years 86 and 89. And Randy thought they were friends. Like, he, like, started trusting this guy, and he had only met him at this one meeting, and then both of them never apparently went back, according to all the evidence. And in October of 89, Magasono, this is where they start the entrapment operation basically because so i believe they 
they had been told to target Frank Kumnick in, in order to flip him as an FBI informant or an ATF informant. And so I think that he ended up just trying to flip Randy as well. If, you know, if not instead. Right. And, uh, and they got pissed because Randy apparently, uh, he he asked Randy if he could acquire a mini gun. Okay. <laughs> so first I, I would be like, hey man, like I'm a little skeptical of this dude now. Like he's asking you for a mini gun. You know what I mean? And then uh he apparently Randy even laughed, which I thought was hilarious, which I had read <laughs> that Randy's reaction was to laugh at that. And then he said no to the FBI inform or to the ATF informant who then proceeded to ask him if he was willing to sell him two shotguns with the barrels sawed off, <laughs> even showing Randy where to cut after Randy had initially began the cut at the legal limit. Ugh. Something okay. you could easily do. I mean, that's immediately suspicious because that's something anybody can do is saw off a shotgun. It's like, no shit, man. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, you could just do it yourself and then claim that Randy did this and sold it to you. We live in you know? crazy times. Don't we? We just live in crazy times. We really do, brother. But so <clears throat> when he asked him that, it just so happened that Randy had two shotguns with him. Right. This is the story. And so Randy was uh, apparently he was strapped for cash is the story. And he in inevitably said, all right, and sold him two sawed off shotguns for three hundred dollars. And in November of 89, only one month after the transaction, this is weird as hell because it would like consider this. Magasono was the ATF informant, right? He's the one who's trying to flip Randy. But in November, less than a month after the transaction with the sawed off shotguns with the ATF informant, he's approached by an FBI informant, not ATF, an FBI informant. And this dude decides to tell him he tips him off and he tells him that his that the friend he sold the shotguns to was a BATF informant. I, I just like to me, why is the FBI informant ratting out the ATF informant? Hmm. That, that was weird to me. You know, I didn't understand why that would even be a part of the story. And uh, maybe that's a way to get his trust so they could take it over. It's possible. Be like, it's hey, possible. dude, this other agency is yeah. fucking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we know at least if we, we believe what's been reported that they, none of them play nice with each other. They all hate each other and have exactly, man, rivalries yeah. for sure. But I just, I'm like, that racked my brain. I could not understand why that would happen or why that would be the case. But so eight months after after this a couple of batf agents approached weaver and asked him to serve as an informant within the aryan nations they then told him they didn't have a warrant but they did have incriminating conversations on tape between him and gus and so then they threatened him with an arrest and confiscation of his truck or house if he didn't cooperate and randy this is this made me like him like <laughs> on a personal level but later, I liked him even more because of what he said to them when they're dragging out his wife's body. Spoiler alert, you know. But anyway, so Randy replied, fuck off. And so then they asked him again, and he repeated that, that line, which I admire that. Yeah. So anyway, in December 1990, 
Randy was indicted for manufacturing, possessing, and selling illegal firearms, which the difference between legal and illegal in this case was about a quarter of an inch of a barrel per gun and a $200 tax stamp, right? And uh, so on January 17th, 91, two BATF agents posing as a couple having engine trouble with a pickup truck hauling a camper stopped on the one lane bridge leading to the Weaver property. Randy and Vicky, dude, this pissed me off because I'm like, could you imagine? Okay, these people are monsters. They're terrible. They, Randy and Vicky pull over to help these people. Okay, that's just insane to me. And then Randy looked under the hood and a male agent stuck a 45 caliber pistol to the back of his neck and announced he was under arrest. Other law enforcement agents piled out of the camper. Vicki Weaver was thrown face down into the snow and mud. And Randy was taken into custody and later released on a $10,000 bond. The trial, this is where it gets insane because this became the pretext, right? This was like setting the stage for how they would escalate this um, to such a degree, man. So the trial was originally set for February 19th, 91. And then it was changed to February 20th for the convenience of the BATF. But probation officer Carl Richens sent Weaver a letter dated February 7th, instructing him to appear on March 20th. Although assistant U.S. attorney Ron Howen, who later acted as prosecutor, he knew Weaver had been sent an erroneous notification and he appeared before the grand jury on March 14th, six days before the date Richens gave Weaver. And he got an indictment for failure to appear on February 20th, even though that was the wrong date sent to Weaver. Oh, yeah, that's it. It's I remember that they gave him the wrong date. Yeah. So they gave him a month before and he didn't sh or they gave him a month after for March 20th. And it was truly set on February 20th. And so when he didn't show, they they didn't wait till March 20th, which to see if he would show for that, which is the actual date he was given. They instead, six days before March 20th, decided they were going to give to uh to have an you know file for an indictment, basically, which they did get on a failure to appear. And so on February 26th, a reporter telephoned the U.S. probation office and asked whether whether the reason that Weaver did not show in court on February 20th was that the letter sent to him by Richens and was had the incorrect date. Right. And upon finding a copy of the letter, the chief probation officer, Terrence Hummel, contacted Judge Ryan's clerk and informed them of the incorrect date in the letter. Hummel also contacted the U.S. Marshals Service and Weaver's attorney, informing them of the error. But the judge, however, refused to withdraw the bench warrant setting the stage. Right. So that's when in February 91, the United States Marshals Service developed a threat source profile on Weaver and agents failure to integrate new information into that profile was criticized in a 95 report by a subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Which they said, right, the subcommittee is concerned that as marshals investigating the Weaver case learned facts that contradicted information they previously had been provided, they did not adequately integrate their updated knowledge into their overall assessment of who Randy Weaver was or what threat he might pose. So from the beginning, they were already 
so I think that somebody had a hard on for Randy and, and they 100% somebody was either pissed that they couldn't get this guy to flip and they, they just wanted to infiltrate this group. I, but at a certain point they were looking for a press op, you know, I mean, that's what happened. And so if the marshals made any attempt to assess the credibility of the various people who gave them information about Weaver, they never recorded their assessments. All right. And rather than maintaining the threat source profile as a living document, the marshals added new reports to an ever-expanding file, and their overall assessment never really changed. And <laughs> these problems uh, apparently rendered it difficult for other law enforcement officials to assess the Weaver case accurately without the benefit of first-hand briefings from persons who had continuing involvement with him. Right? And in, an, in a memorandum, by uh, Deputy Attorney General Jamie Gorlick, that this was dated April 5th in 95. They cited the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Terrorism Ruby Ridge report from 96, which opined that the assumptions of federal and some state and local law enforcement personnel about Weaver, that he was a Green Beret, that he would shoot on sight anyone who attempted to arrest him, and that he had collected certain types of arms that he had booby-trapped and tunneled his property, right? Like, that's all the things that they're telling <laughs> investigators at the time, is that he had literally, he's an ex-Green Beret. This is his, his profile, that he would shoot anyone on site who attempted to arrest him. And he had collected certain types of arms, booby-trapping his freaking property. And they acted like he had tunnels all, all over the place. And so a plan was for sure implemented at the Marshal Service headquarters in Arlington. And a deputy named Art Roderick came up with a long-term three-part campaign he called Operation Northern Exposure, which is when things get out of hand. And that's the first phase, which was to gather more intelligence. The second was to conduct intensive surveillance, rigging up the entire tree line. And I even found out that apparently after they had rigged up the whole tree line of the property with with all these surveillance equipment from the FBI and ATF and Marshal Service like <laughs> um one of the the so Sammy and Sarah who were the kids they the 14 year old little boy and then the 16 year old I think she was 17 by the time it happened Sarah and they were like best friends they did everything together and they would always go out on the property with Sammy's little mini 14 and uh and they would hunt game, right? And apparently they were out playing in the in the woods and they stumbled on one of these cameras, right? And this is like right after Randy had gotten arrested, Randy had been and they tried to make him flip all of this. And so he was realizing that things were a little more serious by that point, right? Because like his kid walked up and stumbled onto a freaking uh, camera right in the woods on your property and then runs home to their dad and and tells them look what we just found like imagine the paranoia at that point you know that's insane we're back sorry had to use the bathroom so where were we the kid just discovered the camera right right yep so after so I just want to get back to the memorandum by Deputy Attorney General Jamie Corlick because that was a huge problem. Like, 
that threat source profile, you know, like if every single investigator or person responding to that scene, right, truly believed that that character source profile, I mean, that that's crazy, man. I mean, they're saying that he would shoot anyone on site, right? So that effectively means that they believed they should change the rules of engagement, you know, but anyway, that was a threat source profile circulating at the time internally, which to me was entirely exaggerated and just false. Right. But well, the other thing is too, like if you think somebody, okay, they got their property booby trapped. They right, have, right. they have the equivalent to a small militia, you know, right. in, in armaments. Maybe mm -hmm. we arrest them while they're out in town getting groceries. Maybe we don't go you to think. their compound and engage in, you know, a military operation. You know, I mean, right. It, I, any any government agency with any sense would have done that, sure. which I mean, sense, you know, is a rare thing in government agencies. Right. But I mean, obviously, you don't go to the if you really believe that you don't show up there and, and you know, try to storm the castle. I mean, it's insane. Exactly. I mean, one of the investigators, even like. I believe is actually one of the negotiators that were negotiating for the FBI and the ATF at the time. And they 100% asked the question, why can't I just go up there and talk to him? Right? <laughs> which was never apparently on the table, which to me is just, they I mean, the high impact event. Exactly. Exactly. So they, they were attempting to escalate in my opinion, but so after the the plan they had uh the u.s marshals had set you know they had basically hatched this plan at the headquarters in arlington and uh and they had like a long-term three-part campaign and that's why they went away for a few months after rigging up the the property with surveillance cameras right and so then that's when geraldo rivera apparently flew over the property which is totally insane. Like, why would that even happen? And yeah. when that happened, reports came out that apparently Randy had shot, people at the property had shot at the helicopter, which is when Randy decided to call into a local news channel, like a local radio and uh, news radio. And he 100% rejects that entire scenario and claims that that never happened. And then, like I said earlier, the helicopter pilot also said that Geraldo had lied and that that never occurred. And so we know that didn't happen. But I just Operation thought it was crazy. Mark, Mockingbird, Geraldo's <laughs> just a, a bag of a, a bag of dicks. Exactly. But imagine being Randy and you see these reports that you fired on a helicopter, dude. It's like just a media absolutely helicopter. ridiculous. Yeah. And so he freaked out and called a local news channel and then completely denied all of that, which I thought was interesting, but. Anyway, so it was Geraldo's now it can be told TV show, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, Richard Weiss was the helicopter pilot who, who who completely denied it, and that didn't stop the U.S. Marshal Service uh, and Wayne Duke Smith, right? Which was an FBI's Richard Rogers, right? So that was the Marshal Service guy was Wayne Duke Smith, and FBI's Richard Rogers are the guys who allegedly used the shooting to justify the new issuing of the new rules of engagement, right? And so that, to me, is such a huge part of the story because that that's immediately when it became shoot on site. So the rules of engagement, different to FBI standard deadly force policy, 
several snipers testified later that they considered those orders to be a green light to shoot on site. And so, according to the document presented in court, these special rules of engagement were drafted and approved by the FBI and the United States Marshals Service on Saturday, August 22nd for use on Ruby Ridge. The new rules of engagement stated, if any adult in the area around the cabin is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement had been made, deadly force could and should be used to neutralize the individual. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot can be taken without endangering any children. If compromised by any dog, the dog can be taken out. (laughs) Kill the dog too. Right, right. Any subjects other than Randy Weaver Vicky Weaver and Kevin Harris presenting threat of death or grievous bodily harm. FBI rules of deadly force apply. Oh. So deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or, or grievous bodily injury to oneself or that of another. And that was the deadly force po- policy that they decided to use the new rules of engagement. And that's literally the document they presented in court, which is crazy to me. So now what it clear. Clearly, it escalated into an 11-day siege, but which resulted in the murder of three people and the family dog striker. Uh, and it began on August 21st uh, on 92, in 92, when six U.S. Marshals outfitted in military camis, night vision goggles, and brandishing M16 assault rifles were sent to scout for a suitable area away from the cabin where they would be able to apprehend and arrest Weaver. Official reports from 94 state that three of the deputy U.S. Marshals would form a reconnaissance team consisting of Art Roderick, Larry Cooper, and William Bill Deegan, while three others uh, would form an observation post team on the North Ridge from the cabin, right? So multiple reports have Roderick throwing two rocks at the Weaver cabin in order to test the dog's reaction, which in turn provoked the dog, right? (laughs) And Weaver's friend, Kevin Harris, and Weaver's 14-year-old son, Sammy, followed after the dog in hopes that the dog had noticed a game animal Which and since the cabin was out of meat, which that's literally how they ate. They, they were consistently just hunting for their food. And the recon team had reportedly retreated through the woods to a wide junction in the trails about 500 yards west of the cabin in an effort to remain out of sight. With Sammy and and uh, Kevin, they followed Stryker on foot through the woods while Randy, also on foot, took a separate logging trail. Vicky, Sarah, and Rachel, which Vicky uh, or Sarah is is a uh, like the seventeen year old daughter, and then Rachel's ten years old, and baby Elisheba is like ten months old. She's just a baby, right? And uh, and they just stayed at the cabin. Clearly, they're not going to go out. Um, and follow Stryker, but so anyway, Randy encountered the marshals at the Y. Roderick claimed to have yelled. Roderick, remember, he's a deputy U.S. marshal. He claimed to have yelled, "Back off, U.S. marshal!" Upon sighting Weaver, and Cooper said he had shouted, "Stop, U.S. marshal!" Right, but Kevin later claimed, and he cl- claimed this in court as well, and it seemed way more legitimate that none of them actually 
client, like none of them actually disclosed that they were U.S. Marshals before the shooting started. And so it was a huge like debate in court, like who shot first. And, and that it was a consistent narrative, right? Like fed to the public, like these people shot first. It was a lot like Waco. Was, anyway, so <clears throat> by their account, okay, uh, and this was summarized in U.S. Senate subcommittee report on Ruby Ridge. But by their account, Sammy and Stryker came out of the woods about a minute later when the marshal's position was revealed by the dog Stryker. Uh, and which, by the way, the story goes that Stryker runs up to the U.S. Marshals and playfully circles him and then circles the other one and then starts to to go back to Sammy and and uh, and Kevin and they shoot the dog in the back. They shoot the dog while it's running back to 14 year old Sammy. Right. That's I'm just like consider. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Arkansas, right? I grew up on the farm. Like I had my dog and we were out on the farm like this. And dude, if the, anybody, I don't care who you are. If you shot my dog in front of me and I had a gun on me, I'm going to shoot you probably like John Wick. I'm you got a John Wick. Him. You got a John Wick. Him. I'm going to seriously consider it, bro. You know, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially you're just a, a temperamental 14 year old kid, man. I mean, I was out of control already. So, but Plus, they're on your property. You know, I mean, consider that. They're on your property, killing your dog in front of you. But anyway, so Roderick shot the dog, and Sammy saw it, right? And he reportedly yelled to the marshals, you've killed my dog, you son of a bitch. And, and then he shot in their direction, right? And did you, you know there's like a, a, a movie, like, a, like almost like a Lifetime movie with like Dennis Quaid and like Laura Dern? plays Vicky and Kirsten Dunst plays Sarah and like it's such a cartoon but anyway um <clears throat> so after that crazy times dude it, it is crazy times man but so Cooper then shot towards Sammy and and shot at Kevin as well who both sought cover and uh Harris, once finding cover behind a tree stump, returned fire with one unnamed shot, which eventually killed William Francis Bill Deegan, who, by the way, conveniently is who they claim is the one who fired the shots that killed Sammy while he was running away, which is very, uh, you know, who knows? The ballistics kind of tell a different story, but that was never uh, much of a concern. So <clears throat> anyway, it turns out that while Sammy's running away, retreating up the hill. He was shot in the back by Francis Bill Deegan and killed. Uh, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Bill Deegan was killed by Kevin Harris. Okay. And, and then Sammy was killed by Marshall Cooper. Okay. And, uh, and so it's a, it's an insane story. And then Kevin H Harris would later dispute certain details of the U S Marshall's account, including the fact that only after the shooting had started, and Deputy U.S. Marshal Cooper was forced to take cover. Did he identify himself as a U.S. Marshal? So that was a huge part. And at this point, one of theirs died, right? So they got blood in the game. You know, you you have one of your own yeah. agents. Your that's your home. That's your homie. You know, that's that's how they looked at it. In my opinion, it's like they killed one of ours, which has to be, uh, you know you know you're going to cause a legit reaction with guys like that you know like this it's very similar you know 
to Waco, so much so. But now it was serious, right? So if not already, but a few hours later, Marshal Dave Hunt, okay, he goes over to the neighbor who had originally written all those letters about uh, Randy, you know, uh, killing the Pope and, and assassinating the president. Well, he just so happened to let the marshals in. Yeah, use my phone. You know what I mean? And so they all call and report that an agent had been killed, right? Stating that federal agents were trapped on a ridge in Naples taking heavy fire. That was the report, right? So like much of the early story of Ruby Ridge, it was way, it was far less than true. You know, that was just a falsehood. It, that was not the case. And so that triggered one of the largest law enforcement operations ever to occur in Idaho. Wow. And in, yeah. And so in the Justice Department report on the Ruby Ridge Task Force, shortly after the gunfight, the FBI was notified of the killing of a U.S. Marshal and the Marshal Service Special Operations Group was alerted to deploy. Cecil Andrews, governor of Idaho, declared a state of emergency, allowing for the use of the Idaho National Guard Armory at Bonners Ferry and to use armored personal personnel carriers, APCs, better known as tanks without a turret, right? And an elite tactical unit called the Hostage Rescue Team was sent from the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. And Eugene Glenn worked at the FBI office in Salt Lake City and was appointed site commander, also known as special agent in charge, responsible for all active individuals from the FBI, ATF, and U.S. Marshal Service. And on August 22nd, the FBI, under the impression they were entering an active, unprovoked firefight against U.S. Marshals, arrived on Ruby Ridge. And hundreds of law enforcement officers, have you ever seen pictures of the scene? Like where they have like, they established a camp. They had like carved out all these paths for the tanks to go through. It was a war zone. That's what it looked like. They had a massive helicopter that was just sitting out there. And uh, un so that was how they were treating this. And hundreds of law enforcement officers were were present. Right. And they were under the unusual orders to shoot any armed adult on site. FBI snipers set up a perimeter, hoping to force Weaver to negotiate. That was the apparent. That was the apparent strategy. Right. I mean, look at that right there. That looks like it's all military. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly unbelievable dude unbelievable wow that's just ridiculous oh my gosh yeah it, it is when i looked at the pictures myself and it's outrageous i can't believe that they would stage that much like the camp looked like it was a war zone headquarters and you know what they called the camp camp vicky right yeah, and, and it's really weird because Bo Gritz talks about this later. And uh, I'll get into that because after they set up the snipers on the perimeter, um, the, <laughs> it's just such a sad story, too. But they so apparently after heading to the nearby shed, okay, where they brought Sammy's body, because after Sammy was shot, okay, Vicky and uh, and uh, Randy, they decided to use the opportunity for the retreating agents to run and grab the body of Sammy. 
And so they went and grabbed Sammy's body, took him back up and put him in like a small shack that they called a guest house. But it was, you know, their house was a shack. And then this was just like, it looked like an outhouse basically. But anyway, so Randy went to look at the body, right? And he just thought, I want to go see my son one last time. And, uh, and so Harris went with him as well as the 16 year old daughter, Sarah, and that's when the FBI sniper, Lon Horiuchi, decides to fire shots, right? And before the negotiators arrived at the cabin, okay? So they're not even there negotiating anything. And the FBI sniper, Lon Horiuchi, from a position over 200 yards north of the Weber cabin, shot and wounded Randy in the back while he was lifting the latch on the shed to visit the body of his dead son. Now, the sniper would later claim that he thought the men were about to fire on a helicopter, <laughs> which to me just fit perfectly in, in the narrative with the Geraldo Rivera helicopter yeah. story, right? So Weaver was hit. The bullet had entered his back and exited his right armpit. And he, Sarah and Harris headed back to the apparent safety of the house. As the men approached the house, Vicky stood behind the front door holding her infant daughter Horiuchi fired a second time. This time, he hits Vicky in the face and kills oh. her instantly. Wow. So the bullet also seriously injured Harris, who was standing behind Vicky. And Horiuchi later said he didn't know Vicky was in the doorway and had his sights on Harris. I don't believe that for a second. So, but I'll get into that in a second. Chaos ensued as Harris Weaver and his surviving family took cover in the cabin. And both Harris and Weaver wounded, Vicky and Sammy dead. The situation was, was grim. It seemed to confirm the Weaver's darkest suspicions about the federal government and the imminent apocalypse. <laughs> Yet Weaver wouldn't give up, right? So outside the cabin, hundreds of protesters arrived to oppose the government's actions and grew increasingly agitated when they learned of the deaths of Sammy and Vicky. And they had all these signs like, Fed shot first. And your house is will be next, right? Like it was like super sad to be honest. But and then also they were, apparently all the agents were like, we don't we can't go up there because we don't know how many people are in the house. And all the neighbors, except for you know, um, what's his name who 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 had sent the letters, they're all like, no, we know how many people are in there. We know exactly who's in the house. They're our neighbors, you know. It's and uh, the feds just completely disregarded any of that. But so at that point, um, in order to really drive home like the injustice, it's crazy what Sarah told to PBS, like what the six, 17 year old girl told to PBS. She she said oh, this she survived personally. and she's still alive. Sarah's OK. Yeah, Sarah's OK. It was just Sammy and Vicky that were murdered. And uh, this is so nuts because Sarah she told PBS and Randy and Sarah, after the fact, they wrote a book about their firsthand experience. It's really nuts. Randy, Randy's alive. Bro, it's a weird story. They just murdered his baby or they, they murdered his only son. And then they murdered his wife. And his face. dog. Yeah, and the dog. And yeah. his dog. Yeah. And he's and still alive. And he's still alive. But listen to how this all ends. So. First, let's 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 listen to Sarah's personal account because it's so sad. But so she tells PBS, 
The morning after Sammy had been killed was rainy, cold, and quiet until the dogs started barking again because they had another dog, which didn't die. But anyway, Sarah's dad and Kevin headed out to see if someone was coming up to coming up the drive to finally talk about what had happened. But when they got out there, the dogs had stopped and all was quiet again, or so it seemed to Sarah. She had followed the boys out to make sure that everybody was okay. She stood there looking out over the mountain, and it was a little while before she realized that her dad had taken off towards the shed where they'd brought the body of her brother. I'm going to go see Sam one last time, he said, and Sarah followed him, feeling like she needed to keep an eye on everyone. Her dad made it around the corner of the shed before she could catch up, and that's when she heard a gunshot. Sarah hurried over and found him around the other side of the shed, which stood between them and the mountain where the gunshot had come from. He was half crouched, holding himself. He'd been shot. He seemed shocked and confused, like he didn't realize what had happened. Sarah's survival instinct kicked in. She told her dad they had to get back to the house. She put her hand on his back and said, go. At that point, Sarah's mother came out on the front porch. She was holding the door open, asking what had happened. And Sarah's dad said he'd been shot and she started screaming for them to get into the house. So crouching, Sarah and her dad headed toward the front porch with Kevin following behind them. Sarah was pushing her dad through the door next to her mom, who was holding baby Elisheba and still screaming for them to get in when she heard this giant boom right in her ear, like somebody had fired a gun next to her. She felt things hit her face. Her mother dropped to the ground and Kevin fell into the house from behind her. Sarah was still standing, not understanding anything. It took her a second to comprehend that her mother had died and that it was parts of her mother that had hit her face. Oh my God. Kevin was on the ground moaning. Her sister Rachel was screaming. Her father was screaming and Sarah's ears were still ringing. That's when her father scooped up baby Elisheba, handed her to Rachel and pulled Sarah's mom into the house so they could close the door. At that moment, it seemed clear that these people weren't here to talk, that there would be no discussion. If Sammy's death had been an accident, Sarah thought, this certainly wasn't. The family was being hunted. And I was just like, that That made me cry when I, I read that out loud the first time. I'm not even playing. But That's just so sad, dude. It really is. So as Kevin, as Kevin Harris, the friend, tumbled into the house, another shot from the sniper went through the glass window, and, and that's when it entered Vicki Weaver's temple, killing her instantly. The bullet and fragments of Vicky's skull went on. Went, that was what injured Kevin Harris in, in his arm and torso, break, even breaking a rib and puncturing one of his lungs. And he apparently even begged Randy, like, dude, just kill me, bro. Like, just take me out of my misery, you know? which was a part of why he let Kevin surrender a day earlier, which is really interesting story. But so the sniper, Lon Horiuchi, was a West Point graduate armed with state-of-the-art sniping equipment and trained to be accurate to within a quarter inch at 200 yards, okay? This is the guy who said it was an accident. He claims he missed Kevin and hit Vicky by accident. Lon Horiuchi would also play a prominent role in the Waco siege less than six months after Ruby Ridge. And Bo Gritz, the guy I keep mentioning, the former Green Beret commander who eventually negotiated Randy Weaver's surrender, 
He said that after he became a negotiator, this is crazy. The FBI showed him a psychological profile of the family prepared for the Marshal Service before the siege that described Vicky as the dominant member of the family, that Vicky was the maternal head of the family, and Gritz told the Spokane Spokesman Review, I believe Vicky was shot purposely by the sniper as a priority target. The profile said, if you get a chance, take Vicky Weaver out, right? And like, he then later... Like Bo's a weird story. Like he he has like this crazy, uh, uh, very interesting perspective on Jonestown as well. By the way, and he apparently even trained a lot of the Afghan mujahideen fighters in America at at military bases in America in the eighties. Like he was training up Afghan uh, uh, mujahideen, which became Al Qaeda. You know, which is just so nuts. But anyway. He says like some crazy thing about uh, Jonestown where he, he says, uh, I think the Jonestown incident was an extension of in search of the Manchurian candidate. I think those people were conditioned to act in certain ways and would have probably just moved from the facility in Montreal where CIA mind control experiments were carried out under the, direct, the direction of Dr. Ewan Cameron, who that guy like got people to... It like believed that the interrogators were their parents, like completely forgetting who their parents were and breaking them down into infants like they were newborn babies. And they had to spend years redeveloping an adult personality. It's like the craziest thing you could ever hear. And apparently he said that they would just send those people to get to Guyana in that case. And uh, he said, look at Jim Jones' background carefully. Whoa, he had a lot that's crazy. Right? He goes, he had, he had a lot of intelligence contacts there for doing exactly what he did. It escalated once they killed Congressman Leo Ryan, which I think he was a huge thorn in the side Yeah. For, at that time. He was researching and investigating MKUltra. Yep. And he was going to MKUltra facilities. And like he was like such a radical congressman i never heard of a congressman like faking as if he, he he would go into like san quentin and act like undercover like he was a like he he was going to prison to see how they treated prisoners like ah that's that's just a crazy story but they killed him on purpose throughout that i'll finish with bo gritz's little thing and then get back to ruby ridge but he basically said that they had no other way to go, so they just tried to self-destruct the whole mission, and that means the death of hundreds of people. As I point out in the book, the medical examiner there made some startling statements. Yeah, um, something Mutu, Leslie Mutu, I think was his name. He like blew open the whole Jonestown scenario. And uh, he, he, he says, and we wouldn't even allow the bodies to be properly examined when they were brought back to the East Coast and turned in. So obviously it was a cover-up. Jonestown, I think, was an extension of MKUltra from the CIA, and there are probably other experiments going on, which I, I believe that. I mean, I don't think MKUltra ever stopped either, you know, but. No, they never stopped. Nobody went to jail, nothing. Yeah. Well, dude. Uh, I'm almost done, bro. This is the okay. very end. We can okay. finish if, if you want. We don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, finish. I got. I know we've got sidetracked yeah. a lot. I apologize, but no, it's okay. We, it's, this has been an insanely end. great episode. So, meanwhile, 
uh, upon arrival, right? Or, or no, I'm sorry. Uh, both men in the cabin had sustained those terrible injuries, right? And uh, so, um, let's see the reports. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. This was crazy, man. So, meanwhile, upon the arrival of the hundreds of federal agents surrounded the surrounding the cabin, setting up a base of operations down the ridge. They would name this was directly after they shot and killed Vicky, right? Because the negotiators haven't even arrived. Then they set up the camp. And after they had shot and, and instantly killed Vicky, they named the camp Camp Vicky, right? The base of oh, operations. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. And so and after the dead wife and mother and according to multiple reports, including the book co-written by Sarah and Randy documenting their firsthand experience. The negotiators during the siege after Vicky had been killed were taunting them every morning by using a loudspeaker and saying things like, how is Vicky this morning? Did she make you breakfast? We had pancakes. We had blueberry pancakes. They would say shit like this. And then, and apparently they even brought up Sammy saying something about playing with toys and stuff like terrible, man. Oh, my and, God. Yep. And the negotiators would admit to saying all these things over the loudspeaker and uh would but they later pretended in in court that they didn't realize that they had been dead right that they were killed but that was the way of yeah dude uh, you honestly bro this shit's nuts it really is but so the report of the ruby ridge task force shows on august 23rd repeated attempts to negotiate with weaver via a bullhorn failed there was no response from the cabin and later it would be reported that by monday august 24th the fourth day of the siege, Danny Colson, the FBI director uh, or deputy assistant director, wrote a memo with the headline, something to consider, and listed four considerations. One, charge against Weaver is bullshit. Two, no one saw Weaver do any shooting. Three, <clears throat> Vicky has no charges against her. Four, Weaver's defense. He ran out. He ran down the hill to see what dog was barking at. Some guys in camis shot his dog, started shooting at him, killed his son. Harris did the shooting. He is in pretty strong legal position. Both men in the cabin had sustained critical injuries and Vicky's body would spend the next 11 days lying in the kitchen covered with a sheet wow. under the table. Oh, the standoff with, the, yeah, with a 10-month-old baby in that situation. They said when she was shot, the baby they thought was dead as well at first because it was only covered in blood. It's mother's blood, you know, like, oh, my God. So <clears throat> here's where they finally decide to talk to these people. What a concept, you know. And so the standoff would ultimately resolve. It wouldn't ultimately, ultimately resolve until the FBI allowed third party civilian negotiators to become involved because Randy had become so distrustful. And by Sunday, August 30th, that's when Bo Gritz, uh, the former special, officer, special forces officer and Green Beret commander, would begin mediation, finally being allowed to approach the cabin in an effort to convince Randy that they could end this with a peaceful conclusion. It's too late and, for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so by this time, Kevin's wounds were like, becoming infected seriously and he urged randy to like like i said to end his suffering and so randy allowed him to surrender 
and Harris was airlifted out by an Air Force medical evacuation helicopter to a medical facility in Spokane. And that same day, Randy also negotiated the removal of Sammy and Vicky's bodies. And this, this is crazy. The story goes here that four agents in full body armor came into the cabin and picked up Vicky's body with Randy holding a gun in hand and stopped and he stopped them and he said, I'll kill you if you let their if you let her body touch the ground. Right. And I just I was just like, this guy, I love this guy. <laughs> right. Like he's a hero, man. So I'm uh the uh here to close this out says the commander of the FBI hostage rescue team told Gritz he would resolve the standoff by launching an all-out tactical assault if he couldn't get the remaining weavers to surrender by a certain deadline. And so the next day, August 31st, Gritz would finally convince Randy to surrender by explaining to him this was their last chance to get out of the cabin alive, and he had to leave in order to save his remaining children. In the end, according to Gritz, the decision came down to 16-year-old daughter Sarah, who by this time had become so terrified the government wouldn't keep its end of the bargain. She had become super reluctant to let her father surrender. And Gritz recalled her dad saying, Sarah, we've got to do this. And finally, Sarah agreed. So she was like paranoid, out of her mind, 16-year-old little girl. And then there's a book written by Jess Walter about this that's super critical piece it's a great book but he he's he says this and it's so poignant man i mean i really in the nine years since the standoff at ruby ridge and in the six years since this book first appeared much has happened yet little has changed and by the way this book's called ruby ridge the truth and tragedy of the randy weaver family and he says Tens of millions of dollars have been spent on hearings and investigations that failed to resolve the most basic questions about the standoff. Almost $3.5 million was paid out in settlements that settled nothing. Nine years later, the courts are still flip-flopping over whether a federal agent should be tried for his actions at Ruby Ridge. Investigators, lawyers, and federal officers are still debating who shot first. Top FBI officials are still denying that they approved the Bureau's unprecedented and illegal orders to shoot civilians without provocation. And nine years later, the sniper who killed Vicki Weaver still works for the FBI. The case continues to hum on internet websites and scream from right-wing newspapers. The words Ruby Ridge are fixed at the bottom of every news story about the 10-year crisis of confidence and competence in the FBI. And every time a person holds up in a ramshackle house, every time a suspect refuses to come out, every time a person accuses the government of going too far, someone is likely to say, we don't want this to become another Ruby Ridge. The Weaver case gave a name to that sometimes dangerous space between people and their government. It brought paranoia into the mainstream for how can you convince people that their government isn't out to get them when on Ruby Ridge, the FBI gave itself permission to shoot its own citizens? How can you tell people to trust the government that covered up details of the case and assigned agents to investigate themselves? So we live in crazy uh, times, dude. 
we live in basically in this with a Tolstoy quote. All right. Because this to me, and this is how I started it in my podcast about Ruby Ridge. Very short, but uh, he just, it's crazy because he, he said this so many years ago and, and we really have to ask ourselves like who was the real enemy to fear that day. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple question to answer in my mind, but this Tolstoy quote says, understand then all of you, especially the young, that to want to impose an imaginary state of government onto others by violence is not only a vulgar superstition, but even a criminal work. Understand that this work, far from assuring the well-being of humanity, is only a lie, a more or less unconscious hypocrisy, camouflaging the lowest passions we possess. Damn, dude. That's great. Thank you so much, Austin. You crushed it. I really do appreciate it, dude. You came in here. You dropped the hammer of the gods on us. Uh, real quick, tell them where they can find you again. So my podcast is called The Underclass Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Underclass Pod. And then Instagram is the underclass podcast. And I want to say really quickly, man, I appreciate you guys. Seriously. Thank you, Sam. Like I'm such a big fan of you guys. Like tinfoil. You're seriously, you're my Joe Rogan. Like straight up. I say that you're to, very nice. to my wife. No, I'm not playing, but I have most, uh, I have way more body fat, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't say this just to, to make you feel good for having me on or anything. I honestly, you guys like, it's weird because when you listen to a podcast, you know how it is. Like, it feels like, you know, these people, right. But so I've spent a lot of time wishing I could say something in response. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit. but anyway, I just wanted to say, man, I'm a huge fan. I admire you. I admire you for having just having such an open mind and being willing to have a conversation with almost anyone and just trying to discern for yourself what is true and what is not. And and that's all we can expect from people. You know, it's like, well, that's the I best kind of that, person. Buddy. You're yeah. a G, so go check out the links below. Check out Austin's show. I want to thank everybody again who's contributed to the, go, uh, the Indiegogo for Chaos Twins. You know, and if you haven't, please help us. We're trying to put together the best possible... Uh, project we can product we want to put out a wonderful wonderful comic book series for children so go check it out that's castwins.com uh i got the revival coming up on the 24th i'm at uh el monte on the, uh december 12th so go check those out i love you all very much thank you guys for everything you do thank you for supporting us and please please stay tuned for uh some some uh info on our affiliates program and check out these highlights from my other podcast. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the highlights. Here's a clip from the latest Broken Sim. That All right, funny. so so that's a let's get into uh, what we wanted to talk about, which was um, which was the uh, Bill Burr situation. Okay, yeah, uh, Bill like Burr. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and I consider him a friend. It's getting a lot of shit right now. Uh, getting a lot of shit about uh, him and his wife. We're at the UFC uh, fight. 
Donald Trump comes in, gets a humongous standing O. Let's remember this. Donald Trump gets a huge standing O, comes in with Tucker Carlson, Kid Rock, the Trump brothers. That's a cool group, huh? Right? I mean, it's it's fun. So so he comes in and here's the video. So and fun. so so sh there's a shot of Trump. Bill Burr's behind him. And his wife is there. And Trump is standing, and yeah. Burr and his wife are seated behind Trump in yeah. the crowd. Hit a play. Hit play. All right, here we go. Let me just play that one more that time. Was it. That was it. I'm just that was it. Now, some people have tried to play it off that she's flipping off Kid Rock, but he's not there well, yet. Well, she could just be flipping off the camera, she I guess. She is flipping off the camera, but she knows exactly who they're shooting. Yeah, yeah. She's I not stupid. So. Yeah. What you, Johnny, I want to hear your thoughts, and then I'll give my I thoughts. don't care. I just don't care about this. It doesn't Johnny, bother me at all. let me just tell care. you something. I have a lot more respect for her doing that than all of these dog shit people in Texas, and I love Texas, who are cheering George Bush Jr. at all these sporting events. Like, I have way yeah. more respect for that. Yeah. And yeah. listen, this isn't, a, this isn't an arena where he got a standing O and one person's flipping him off. Okay, I mean, I am for this. This is the First Amendment. This is what you're supposed to do. I wish I, I would love to know what Bill Burr is thinking. Oh, you know he's, you know, listen, even though he probably agrees with the sentiment, he's probably like, uh, yeah. and listen, again, I love Bill Burr. I'm team Bill Burr. I'll always be on team Bill Burr. I'll always defend comedians when cancel culture comes. And I, I don't know if it's coming for him, but they're giving a lot of shit to his wife. And, you know, I don't have a problem with it. He just got, he just got an arena applauding for him. One person. And this is Sam Tripoli doing stand-up, basically what everybody else is doing. I'm crushing in the room and one person's mean mugging me. Yeah. That's all I'm focusing on is yeah. the one person mean mugging me. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just. I'm okay. I don't care. I don't I have don't a care. problem with it. Yeah. I don't have any problems with it. I love it. I, I, you can't do that. Now, the question is. Is she representing Bill Burr the best at this moment? No, of course not. Yeah. And that's that that is an issue between him and her. And I want to say to anybody here that is really upset with this and are upset with Bill Burr, and this goes back to my RFK thing yeah, that's, with that's, his that's wife. What I was just thinking it. Right? It's like when you're with strong-minded women, they do what they want to do. And it's like so, like RFK said, sometimes you're not the king of your castle all the time. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you're not the king of your own castle. But, but, but. Um, There's a spider I, I, web across the camera. All I have to say is this. If they were at an event and it was Nina's event and there was a big camera on them and Bill Burr flipped off somebody pretty important at her event, how do you think she would handle it? How does she? How, well, I don't know her, but probably. More well, we know women, right? Wouldn't be into it. So that's it. That's my only thing. It's like those seats are obviously being given to him by either. But this is a speech issue. It's free speech. No, one hundred percent. I am one hundred percent team Bill Burr on and this. You, if you have a problem with that at home, take it out with them personally, not as a speech thing. Not saying they shouldn't be doing that. Or, or it's like, and, and like. Listen, dude, I, I, listen, do I like Trump? Yeah. Trump, I like, he's my favorite war criminal out of all the war criminals. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. Right? Like he's, <laughs> I, I like him more than I like the other war criminals, but yeah. I'm making no illusions. Like, you remember, he's the guy that gave Bill Gates $10 billion, which Bill Gates kind of turned around and used to buy up all the farmland. Right? Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. No, no. He, he the, gave a lot guy, of people he, money that didn't deserve he, it. He's the guy that uh, put a BlackRock in charge of the Fed. He's And listen, I, I prefer him over the other guys. He but kept, I, kept on droning innocent people. Yeah. He... he he he's the guy that made it tried to make it an EO executive order to ban free speech on campuses for Israel. Okay, so like there's a lot of reasons you should be given double fingers. Okay, I like Trump. He's a president. You, you should be able to do truth to power. That's my opinion. You like Trump? I I well, Johnny. If I had to pick, it's like, hey, who's your favorite? Nobody's making you pick. Though. What? You don't have to pick, though. That's well, my, I mean, if we're point. picking out the presidents, I like him more than the other ones, but I'm not, I, I don't think any of these presidents have our best interests. No, okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. He seems to be more nationalist than the rest of them, but, or, or localist or patriotic. I think he's completely self interested and whatever side of these issues that worked the best for him, yeah. would be on. Because he used to be, so Johnny, he used to be wildly okay. like pro-abortion. He was Democrat, gave money to the Clintons. You know, he was a Democrat. And then he, I think he saw this opening. He's a smart guy. There's no doubt denying that. He saw this opening to become the president and pursue power, and he took it. You know, and 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 we're just fortunate that many of these issues that benefit us as a country also happen to be, what would you say, uh, expeditious for him. So yeah. Anyway, so so no, I do, and I love how he tweaks the left. I fucking love that. Yeah, I it's do too. The, best. the people that don't like him are the people I don't like. So yeah, exactly. I, in their it's aspect, like with I Elon. like him. I feel the same way about Elon. Yeah, yeah, I like him. Are they perfect? No. And no. do I expect them to save me? No. It'd be a hell of a lot better than the current president. Yeah, that's Biden. my whole thing. Yeah. If I if I could go, okay, let's just go through presidents. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Trump, Obama, George Bush. Um, who else would we Dick got? Cheney. D yeah. <laughs> so you go through all these guys. Who would you like out of them the most? Yeah. You mean the living presidents? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, dude, if no I go all the there. way back, maybe. I mean, Jimmy Carter, but I think we have a weird revisionist yeah. version of Jimmy Carter. But if I had it my way. Gerald Ford? No. Richard Nixon? No. Ronald Reagan? No. Um, let's see. Kennedy, maybe? JFK? Yeah. Maybe, but probably Andrew Jackson. That's like, how far back I'm Andrew going. Andrew Jackson, dude, yeah. he killed the, he killed so many people. He was yeah, but he got rid of the Fed, and I'm okay yeah. with that. He, he killed a lot of Indians. Okay, um, I'm sorry to the Indians. I will go to your casinos and make love, up for. You could say you love Lincoln, but Lincoln, I mean, did a lot of bad things. Again, in the war. they're all war criminals, yeah. bro. I, it's Crazy. like who's your favorite war? It's like who's your favorite horror flick slasher, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like I like Jason Voorhees. Yeah. I like Freddy Krueger. It's like they're all psychopath murderers. Impossible, it's right? Impossible. I've been so that's my I've been reading the Civil Team War Bill, books. Team Bill Burr. Uh, I personally wouldn't do that to my. My significant other, that's just me. That's my opinion. I've been reading those. But I'm on Team Burr. Speaking of presidents, I've been reading those Civil War books I was telling you about. And it's, yeah, Lincoln, dude, complicated guy. But the thing that impressed me most about all of them is that they were, you know, we think people have changed. People haven't changed. They were so sassy back then. The The guy who wrote the books has all the all the documents, all the telegraphs that they sent back and forth privately to each other were all saved and became public record. 
they were so sassy to each other. The president to the generals, the generals to each other. What were they other. like, listen up, bitch? Just like, I mean, Lincoln's got this famous quote of like, hey, uh, could I borrow the army since you don't seem to be doing anything with it? <laughs> I mean, that's like a direct quote. That's what I love. Yeah, and there's so much sass Dude, going on I, between Well, I guys. think that's much better than the presentation. Like when you hear Nixon, he's like, oh, they're doing a lot of gay shit and bohemian <laughs> girl. I'm like, I'm down. Yeah, yeah. I wish if, 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 You see that too. Anytime a candidate for president loses... Then they just become a normal person and start going on, you know, doing the circuit well, and talking like, normally. And you're like, why don't you do that when you're running? Well, it's my whole thing is like, you know, the thing that people hate about Trump is that like he was very brash. But I like that. Hey, guys, real quick, I want to tell you about a couple things you can find on the website, samtriplee.com. It's everything you need. Audio, video, all there of all my podcasts across the board. You can also get my dates there. You can also get T-shirts there. We are adding T-shirts all the time. We just added a uh, more DSing, less bombing. I love that one, okay? You, we also got uh, Yahweh or the Highway new shirts Woo! are there. They should be up. It's a great way to support the show. Grab your T-shirts now. I got more magic coming. I also have a uh, mental gymnastics one everyone's going to really like. Listen, if you want to support the show, rockfin.com. $15, you get all my shows across all the boards. We also have Cash Daddies, uh, patreon.com slash Cash Daddies. Great way to make money in these difficult markets. We also have some affiliates. I'm going to hit them out real quick. Uh, if you're looking for gold and silver, a great way to go to Wise Wolf. Click the banner. Uh, brown Hydrogen brown gas. Everyone loves it. Harley Ray, our good friends in Candles and Crystals. You can get a, use the promo code SWARM15. Click that one. And Tim James, who was just on the show, universally loved. You can get a discount on all of his stuff on his website, Chemical Free Body. And then finally, Joel Staley, who's going to help me lose weight and get ready to rock. All those there. Click the banners. Support them. Support us. It's a great way. And all my audio, all my video, again, right there at samtriplee.com. Enjoy the highlights. And now, a highlight from Cash Daddies. Uh, you know, I get all these Zillow um, Zillow uh, ads for uh, houses. And for the first time, a three-bedroom, three-bathroom house in Thousand Oaks, which is an amazing area, was seven hundred thousand dollars? They're dropping seven. I I think you're looking at people going. They're saying this market is about to implode. I need to get out quickly. And I mean, seven hundred thousand dollars. That's an insane number for basically Los Angeles. Thousand Oaks is more Ventura, but still, that's a like that's an insanely good area. Three bedroom, even if it's a dump. You would could take three hundred thousand dollars put in there, and you'd still be break even. Yeah, I mean, you know, we still don't have a lot of supply. Rates are high. I think they are going to come down, but uh, I think we're going to see prices drop. Man, I mean, in certain areas. I think in New York they're going to drop. They're just they're still high. There's there's no supply. There's a ton of there's there still is demand, but I just see prices at some point will drop a little bit and. The bottom line is, even if they don't, if interest rates drop, houses will become more affordable. That's what we want. So I see them raising rates one more time, and that's it. But hopefully the CPI number comes in slow tomorrow, and that'll help everything. Um, good shit, man. The economy is in decent shape right now. People are still working. Uh, wages are solid. I mean, you know, it could be a lot worse. 
And, you know, people ask, they say, well, what about all these geopolitical problems? Like, we got a war in Ukraine. There's a war in Israel. The market doesn't seem to give a shit, man. I mean, I you know, war is yeah. horrible. It's not yeah. good. Nobody war wants it. War is horrible, it. dude. War yeah. is horrible. It's, it's, it, nobody wants it. But, you know, I, I don't have a say in what, what goes on. So, you know, let's look. I still like oil and energy. I think that's going to go higher. The Middle East isn't going to calm down anytime soon. I mean, we're we're bombing uh, some of these guys in Syria. So was it Syria? Yeah, Syria. So, you know, you got to look at different sectors. Utilities are getting hammered. I kind of like that sector now. It's gotten just crushed. Um, you got to put your money in, in things that you think can go up. But, Interesting. Uh, you know, it was good news. The 10-year treasury was at 5%. That was not good. Now it's down to 4.65. Um, wouldn't surprise me if that goes up a little bit. We'll see tomorrow. Tomorrow's big. CPI number is going to be huge. So you got the yeah. S&P right around 4,400. Uh, that's a little bit of resistance. Could go a little higher. But I think from now until December, I think you got to get defensive. you got to stack dry powder, you know, being things that pay nice dividends. Uh, because it wouldn't surprise me if we see a little sell-off. You still got the S&P up 15% for the year, NASDAQ's up 32%. You know, we could see a nice little sell-off here this week, and and then the Patreon boys will bank again. So Patreon boys go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. outside. We bank. We bank it. Yes. That's what we do. We we go deep, homeboys. Aaron, open your mind. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. <laughs> That's some interdimensional shit. <laughs> Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim Foyle hacking. Tim Foyle hacking. It is so hilarious